Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net. What's up, everyone? Freddy the Pizza Man here, host of the Pizza Man Podcast. Now joining forces with ChristopherMedia.net. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Pizza Man Podcast. And, of course, find all the podcasts on ChristopherMedia.net. We talk Detroit sports. I bring on guests, uh, passions, opinions, uh, all for Detroit sports, and more. We even talk pizza. So thanks for tuning in and uh, spread the word. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. From Asthma Core Studios near Detroit, Michigan, it's Unregimented. Gangsters, what's up, guys? And now, here are your hosts. Number 238, back. Chris. I'm Aaron. I'm Rich. And I'm Todd. Hello. Yeah. Hey, you guys normalized yet? <laughs> it's starting to feel normal. Are you comfortably numb yet? You know, in a related story, that is the worst setting in audition is normalize. I think it's a related thing. Terrible. Oh, too. <laughs> yeah, normalization is horrible. Oh, it is. I wish it, I wish it was never offered as a, a preset in any software. No, it's ridiculous. But yeah, I guess Ben, we haven't talked in a few weeks. I missed the last episode, and you guys were off two weeks. So. Hi, I've missed you. Hey, buddy. Yeah, I did, I did get a few uh, messages like, where's Todd? Where's the show? And second week, two weeks in a row, no show? Is there something I need to know? And I'm like, no, no, everything's tech issues, I'm, personal bullshit, everything's fine. Rich All is, is well on regimented hordes. Well, Rich's must-see TV got canceled. Oh, God. Catch, oh, yeah. Let's catch up on all that, Rich, before they delete them all. Are you talking about the Roseanne yeah. shit? Yeah, yeah, they they managed to ABC managed to air the last episode before her fucking Twitter tirade, or she let the last episode air before she decided to make. Hey, I'm sorry. Someone give me a network show so they can take it away from me for saying this. That bitch does look like the female monkey from Planet of the Apes. I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. Uh, just a disclaimer: Rich is on some new medication. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you could have you could have warned me of that before we started. I didn't know that. Look, look, a lot of shit's happened the last few weeks. That's worth mentioning, fuckers. No, it, 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 some people look like animals. I look like a bulldog. She looks like the money for the, the, the female monkey from Planet of the Apes. Yeah, you kind of remind me of that that professor in the original Planet of the Apes, Rich. I don't Dr. know why Zayas, that Dr. is. Doctor Zayas, Doctor Zayas. <laughs> That's what you remind me of. I don't know. Does that make me racist? I just called you a monkey. Uh oh. I don't know. I mean, and no, Trump. No, because he's white. Trump does kind of look like an orangutan. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. it, it's. it's right. Didn't Bill Market sued because of that statement? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone was like, well, what's the difference if Bill Mark compared to the president to an orangutan? Yeah. Look, I get it. But if it, just, to say, just to say someone. First of all, I wouldn't know that woman had any black in her just to look at the, to look at the pictures I've seen. I know that's, she was. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Second of all, if it was a, if it wasn't an apt comparison, if it was just like, well, Louis Farrakhan looks like a gorilla, and then yeah, it'd be like, yeah, that, that's that's pretty fucking racist. That's not even, it's not even an attempt at humor. That was a legit attempt at humor, especially when you put them side by side, and you're like, eh, either okay. What if she said she, she, 
she looks like Michael Jackson six days before he died. Because Michael Jackson looks like the female monkey from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and he's he's a white guy, or he was. He's a white woman when he died. So. <laughs> you know, the whole thing with Roseanne, you know, we talked about how batshit she is on, I think, a couple, a couple sure. of episodes probably. She's freaking nuts. If you've ever followed her Twitter account before she shut it down, she's just, she's just nuts, batshit. And it seems to me that it's fitting that that show ended that way with her just going on to Twitter, posting something absolutely ridiculous. I don't, you know, you can take the humor in it, you can take the humor out of it, whatever. How stupid do you have to be to post that now? What did she think was going to happen? Yeah. Did she well, think they, that nothing was going to be, no, that, that nothing would, no consequences would be suffered because of that? It's one of those I, like, hey, do you watch I, the news? Kind of I deals. feel like, I feel like maybe earlier that day, she had a meeting with ABC, and they're like, so, season one was do- doing really well. Let's ramp up for season two. When can we start production? And she was just like, oh, fuck, really? She's self-destructive, <laughs> man. This, the is, woman this is-, is my life now. I don't want to do this anymore. I have the- a big comeback. I have my yeah. moment. I'm out of here. T- I think you're giving blowing her it up. too much credit. The bitch is self-destructive. Yes. She's self-destructive. She I- cannot. She cannot. Act, she cannot exist in a state of calm. Maybe in the back of her brain, there was part of her that was saying that. Yeah, she had such a great... And the show was doing really well. We talked about it, man. It was, it was giving balance. It was getting ratings. Ideologically, it was, it was giving people things to think about, characters to relate to. And here comes Hurricane Roseanne in to just wipe everything off the face of the earth. You know, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying, Rich. It, it, I, I do. I, I, the humor and whatever angle you want to take. But, God, how dumb do you have to be? Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. If This is why Doug Stanhope says, I can say anything I fucking want because no one gives a shit who I am. Exactly. But well, he's a god pay. among comedians. And the you thing with saying? him is people pay to go see him. They, go, they pay to go see his show knowing what it is he does. It's an individual, right? And this is a network program that's being shot, shoved into millions of people's homes. That, and this, this reflects on that. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a, there's a huge difference between Stan Hope and, and Roseanne the comedian could do that. Roseanne the television right. star can't do something like that. Or she should expect the backlash that she got. Absolutely. I don't feel bad for her. I, I feel terrible that the show is off the air. I really, I was really enjoying it. I feel terrible for John Goodman and the rest of that cast. You know, think well, about the I, the kid who whoever well, plays. John, I think John Goodman least of all. He's had, yeah. he's had a career the whole time. I feel, bad for, I feel bad for DJ. Maybe. That's what right. I was just going to say. It's my, <laughs> that Fishman kid. I mean, he had one. He had one more shot at being on television and being famous and doing something worthwhile in the entertainment business, right? And here comes Typhoon Roseanne. Poof, done. Yeah, well, first, well, first Becky wasn't exactly lighting it up either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that one of the articles I read is it's estimated around 150 people total are now out of work uh, due to that show not being there. And yeah. it's like, okay, I understand that people, like the behind-the-scenes people, if you have a skill to work on Roseanne, you're yeah. going to have a skill to find another job. You're going to work somewhere else. Well, yeah. lots of those They're people are already uni- employed. Well, lots of them are no. unions, too. They'll be all right. But the, yeah. the, 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 the most telling thing, because we are like a couple weeks out from this actually happening, is the, re- is the reaction from people going, 
Well, that's what they get for associating with a known racist like right. Roseanne. Exactly. And it's like, okay, Sarah Gilbert, you think that woman's racist? You, I mean, seriously, she... she they're, they're implying she's complicit because, right. you know, she went into business with this person, I she's, guess. She's married to Linda Perry. <laughs> I did not know that till this week. Well, that, well, that's ridiculous as, as, on the other side, people crying about all these people that lost jobs, like, oh, you're just being reactionary to this one tweet that Roseanne had, and now all these people are out of jobs. Boo. Like, <laughs> this happens all the time, every fucking day. Yeah. Some show gets canceled somewhere. Someone has, <laughs> someone loses their job. Yeah. And not only that, just people who don't work in Hollywood all the time. Like, what? I don't, I, I just, I can't have sympathy for somebody losing their job because that's just something that happens. I do right? feel bad. I do feel bad for TJ, though. <laughs> poor, kid, poor guy. I want to call him a kid still. He's not a kid by far, but I do feel terrible for him. He just one more one more day in the sun, and it turned into yeah. This is, this is as ridiculous as like the, the whole debate over uh, the kneeling during the anthem in the NFL. Right. Yeah, and they immediately go, "Oh, the troops! Oh, you're disrespecting the troops! Like you don't give a shit about these people otherwise." But when right. it serves your cause, and all of a sudden you care about best grip and the fucking grunt on the front lines, right? Well, I've said it before. I'll say it again: the troops are the new Native Americans for the uber conservative people to throw up there and be like, play the game of whataboutism, you know. Anytime you bring up any type of racism right. back in the day, it was, oh, I don't, you don't see Indians bitching about shit. Well, and I come, mean, uh, we, we fucking slaughtered them. How, how come Roseanne gets fired and Samantha Bee gets to keep her job? Because well, let's, let's start with they work for two different networks. Exactly. <laughs> okay. you know, one's a cable network, for fuck's sakes. It's not like Roseanne like, bumped up against some law that said you can't be racist on Twitter or you lose your TV show. Right. The same reason Bill Maher was fired for saying, who is, more, who is showing more courage, people flying a plane into a building or someone sitting behind a screen ordering a drone strike? Right. right. The same reason ABC fired him for that is because that's network television. Yep. When he went to HBO, he sat on his show and basically called himself a house Negro, and he still has a job because HBO will fucking allow that. Those no, your audience. Well, let's 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 keep in mind the business model too, and this is why this is why Roseanne was fired. I I think as well because it's 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 advertising based networks. It's not just because they're on a network. It's it's ad supported. So Mar ran into issues with losing advertisers, boycotts, and all that. And the different difference with HBO is it's subscriber based. Exactly. There are no commercials. There are no subscribers. It's based on subscribership. There are no, I'm sorry, no advertisers. It's based on subscribers. And believe it or not, his show, like a show like Game of Thrones, is one of the shows that when it's airing, people will pony up, what is it, the 15 bucks a month for HBO Now or Go or whatever they change the name to, yeah. and then cancel it when it's over with. Sure. HBO knows that. They're yeah. like, we're not sending that anywhere. Sorry. Right. Hey, Mar, go out right. there and apologize to Ice Cube. <laughs> right, they, I know, right? <laughs> they know what their top shows are just based on the number of subscribers during that time. Right, exactly. During, that, during the period that season airs, 
That's what you're saying. And there's this thing with HBO as well that I think, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm speculating here and I'm kind of projecting, but I think that most people that subscribe to HBO, that if they don't like what Bill's, Bill Maher is saying, they're never going to watch that show <laughs> anyhow. Exactly. You know, it's, it's like, for, for whatever reason, I think HBO viewers, it's like True Blood or, or Game of Thrones or whatever. If it's too gory, too nasty, too vile for your taste, you just don't watch it and you ignore it. For whatever reason... Network TV doesn't get that same treatment from their viewers. They get all uh, caught up in self-righteous outrage, you know, and have to call the sponsors and have to take Twitter and Facebook to, you know, express their, their holy outrage. Because it's free, children could be watching. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know why that is. I think that's part of it, but there's some different dynamic at play when it comes to HBO and it comes to over-the-air television. Well, the same goes for Comedy Central. Yes, Comedy Central right, does, right. does run commercials. But they are a cable station. And Comedy Central has the Daily Show. Samantha B comes from the Daily Show. They know that they lean to the left very, very openly. So they were like, okay, you shouldn't have really called her a feckless cunt. Right. But let's be honest. That's kind of what they our our, our fan base expects when they tune in. Right. That's like that's like getting upset that you turned on the Boondocks cartoon and they said the N word, like, <laughs> or, or South Park you? killed a child. Yeah, right. exactly. Well, the other big difference between a network and uh, like ABC and one like HBO is that HBO looks at long term data, like you're talking about the number of subscribers and all that, and they don't get wrapped up in this like herd mentality when it comes to these issues like abc uh, had to respond because they knew the next thing that was coming was all these people outraged on twitter that would then cause nervousness in their advertisers that would then immediately pull their ad spots so the results the monetary results would be immediately felt right and even though this might just all blow over in two weeks it's too late you it's too you you have to now put in long term long term work to get those advertisers back to your network, which is then costing you more money just trying to get the money that you lost back. Right. Revenue so preservation. It's, it's hard to like I I don't find ABC at fault. It's that's no, the business either. model. Absolutely. This is, I, this is what a, they're doing. The, ABC has the right to fire their employees the same way a, that that uh, Roseanne has the right to say what she wants on Twitter, and they can all reap the consequences in the free market. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. But ABC did exactly what they had to do. They didn't. You know, they're not at fault here. This is a, this is a Roseanne thing. Roseanne and Roseanne batshit bar, whatever the fuck she calls herself now. This is all on her. She forced ABC to act, and they did what they had to do for the corporate business model to stay right. profitable. That's it. Whereas, whereas if Bill Maher, you know, goes on week after week tirades that are pissing off liberals, and they stop tuning in. He will eventually lose his show on HBO because they'll they'll no longer be making money off of him. Case in point. But you most. don't have that immediate reaction of this stuff that, like, you know, Bill Maher says something, everyone gets up in, in arms about it, but they all come back and tune in the next week. Right. Well, the, the perfect example of what you're talking about is the Dennis Miller show on HBO post 9-11. He started showing a very much... Which is funny because everybody who worked with him on SNL, other comedians are like, he's always been a centrist. It's just, for whatever reason, he had this reputation because he went after Reagan when Reagan was in office. He also went after Clinton when Clinton was in office. 
but that just gets you know glossed over. He started having more conservative ideas about terrorism, et cetera, et cetera. And his show lasted one season after 9-11, and HBO was like, later. Right. Sorry. You know, and it's that's why I'm glad, even though I, I, I'm like a lot of you guys on this, well, at least two of you guys on this podcast, I'm like really getting tired of social media. <laughs> and I agree with Drew <laughs> on the Drew and Mark podcast. Everybody has a voice, but most people need to shut the fuck up. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm glad there is something, an outlet such as podcast for, hey, if you want to go out there and say what you want to say, you're more than welcome to do it. And you're not beholden to anyone but yourself. And if someone gets upset, well, that's their problem. I mean, I, what, what right. are you going to do? Who, uh, you don't like something I said on Unregimented. What are you going to do about it? And You're I'm gonna sure, email Chris and tell him to fire me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure there are examples out there. I don't know of Delete. any of where where uh, an advertiser decided to pull their ads from a podcast because they didn't agree with the content in some way. But in oh. general, that doesn't Bill Burr all with, the time. Right. But uh, okay, so there's there's a good example. I uh, but it doesn't happen a lot. I mean, Bill Bill Burr is very. Uh, controversial. I can imagine why it would be hard for him to hold down advertisers. But in most cases, the advertisers are coming to the podcast knowing what the content is like. Exactly. If you listen to the older, I mean, like way older Joe Rogan episodes, I think first four years or so, his two major um, sponsors were Fleshlight and something to do with some, some marijuana company and i'm like boy they know their audience <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, I know. get high and jerk off, off. Yeah. <laughs> exactly but i mean what what whatever he got paid now he's what million downloads per episode not including the streaming and the in and, and his youtube channel he's making seventy five thousand to a hundred thousand per episode from what's been said okay well he pretty much says what he wants I mean, he flat out says what he wants. Actually, I've never heard him censor himself at all. Before we totally get off the Roseanne thing, uh, I know that they were, the network was in talks with the rest of the cast. Uh, has anyone heard anything about them possibly uh, doing like a, a continuation or spin-off show without Roseanne? One thing and, I heard is Sarah Gilbert said she would, she would be open to the idea. Oh, oh would she? Yeah. Really? She's like, come on, these checks have started rolling back in. We can't kill this. Well, I, I, what was it? Meanwhile, was John Goodman's like, the Coen brothers wrote another role for me. So, yeah. you know, kill me off, off too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is this is how they reboot it. Uh, Roseanne and, and uh, uh, oh, brain fart. Just forgot his character's name. Goodman's character. Dan. Dan. Rose, Roseanne and Dan are, 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 are driving. She's whacked out on pain pills. Boom, accident. They're both dead. That's what I was saying. Kid, kids inherits the house. There you go. Right. Yeah. Or just have her OD. Just have her OD on the pain pills, and that's that. Well, wasn't there a show in the 80s that, like, some, the female lead that it was based around left? Oh, yeah. Valerie. Valerie Harper left, so they said she died in a fire. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> what, was the, what was the show? Uh, it was Valerie, and then Valerie, Ho- turned into Hogan yeah. Family. That's where Jason Bateman oh, came was, from. Wait a minute. The show is called Valerie, and she was Valerie. <laughs> yeah. 
And she well, left. And they killed her in a fire. That's awesome. I, I guess that's a perfect example of what they could do then. They should do the uh, the Connor family or whatever. Well, then there's the classic, you know, good times where think, John Amos said, I want a bigger contract. And they said, yeah, you're going to die in an oil field in Alaska. And we got, <laughs> damn, 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 out of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, some good can come of this. We're, here you go, ABC. <laughs> throw us a check. We're, we're, we're brainstorming for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't think they're having some fun in that brainstorming episode or uh, session where they're trying to figure out what to do if, if they're going to do anything? How could, we, how could we kill her? Have her killed by a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> have, her, have her mauled by a monkey. Not to go off on a tangent here, but Charlie Sheen was then talking about, hey, this clears the, re- the, the runway for our reboot. I'm like, think, <laughs> if you guys know anything about that show, I don't know. This is only one fact right I know about that show. His character supposedly like exploded. <laughs> like how how are they gonna how are they gonna reboot that? You know, they could they could have the whole counter family. They could write it into an episode where they go to the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago and they're 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 looking at the monkey exhibit. One breaks out. It's a chimpanzee and it eats her face. <laughs> it would go. be awesome. Right. I, I think you, you you could even do that. She survives it, and then replace her with uh, oh, what's that? <laughs> that was in the spy movie. Uh, never mind. Melissa McCarthy. Just say yeah. You replace her with <laughs> Melissa well, no, McCarthy. No, at this point, awesome. No, at this point, you got to replace her like Sarah, Kathy Bates, don't you? That was her new face. <laughs> Like, well, Kathy Bates is getting up there. Face transplant. Well, right. you know, Dan would wake up and be like, Roseanne. You got younger. Okay. Upgrade. Okay. Did everything yeah, get younger? Have the, have the monkey mauler. And then, <laughs> and then you got like uh, this, this long lost cousin shows up, and that's either Melissa McCarthy or Rosie O'Donnell. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Don't do, don't do John Goodman like that. No, oh, Rosie. Okay. <laughs> I think Rosie would do that role, that role really, really well. Oh, you bring Rosie in, and you lose all your conservatives. Yeah. yeah, but if she play, if she pulled a Stephen Colbert, it, it might it might actually work. It might actually. Work. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, if it I was like, like she, she played it with such like biting sarcasm, people would got, still turn in. And she's got that 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 sort of edge. You know, it's a little more under control than Typhoon Rosie, but uh, she's got that edge that Roseanne has. You know, she could pull that anger, that sort of biting humor. She could pull that off really well. Probably better than Roseanne could at this age. Her acting skills sucked. I can tell you that. Roseanne? Yeah. yeah. It was just like, what the hell have you been doing in the last 20 years? You can't act anymore, woman. Yeah. I think, I think when, because I, I went back and watched like an episode from the first season not that long ago, and it was just a random episode, and it was an episode, she's sitting at work, and she's talking about men are like sprinkles on a donut. He goes, first you got to undo all this stuff. Right, she's right. pulling the sprinkles off that their mom did to them and all their past girlfriends and and I'm just like it was I've I've heard those conversations in break rooms in yeah. factories. Yeah. You know, it was delivered completely in a believable way. And yeah, yeah. it it was stilted is the word that comes to mind when I think yeah. of some of the acting in the in the in the reboot. It just wasn't good at all. You know, I, I, I kind of, you know, I bit my tongue out and I didn't really want to say anything because I like the show anyway, despite that. But that was the one thing I noticed is that she cannot act anymore. Well, yeah. it's like watching a Star Wars movie and expecting Shakespeare. I mean, yeah. like I, I, you go back, go back and watch Luke's delivery 
to I Leia that, that that he's that, that she's his sister in Return of the Jedi, and it's just like it's like oh my god, I, that's, you know, I, I, I acting like not to go too far, chose. not to go too yeah exactly, Chris, because that, that that's the one thing about the Star Wars franchise I've always kind of disliked is uh, Mark Hamill. I've never yeah. liked that character. I mean, there's, there's just something about him as Luke Skywalker that just rubs me wrong, even in the later ones. Even the last couple I've seen, it's just, oh, ew, no, no, stop. I thought he was actually pretty good in The, uh, in the Last Jedi, yeah. but I think he's, he's a far better voice actor than he yeah. is uh, in-person yeah. actor, live actor, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Person actor. Oh, in-person actor, yeah. At least we don't, yes. we don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to suffer. They did kill him off, right? He's dead in that, right? Yeah, but you know he died in the Jedi way, so he's at least going to come back as a hologram or something. Yeah, as a ghost, exactly. (laughs) He's going to be hanging out with Tupac. (laughs) Yeah, he and uh, what's the? Oh, he and Obi Wan are going to do some hologram porn. Put that in your head and chew on it, fuckers. (laughs) That's that. That's daddy porn. I know. From doing the new show, I've learned that that, that's a big fetish in the gay community, like the daddy thing. Oh my god. Just tie a popsicle uh, around it, Daddy. He'll be okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, did I deflate the room again? So, no. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of how to go from Daddy porn to, to, to Trump. Oh, well, that's easy. Into it. Is he above the law? <laughs> like, that's the big question right now, isn't it? Uh, we have this, this letter that was received from uh, Trump's team of lawyers back when it was headed up by Ty Cobb that says that he has, uh, that you can't indict him, you can't, no, what you can't do is indict him for uh, obstruction because it's impossible for him to obstruct because he has, uh, he has final say on any investigation, basically. And when we, that was back in January, that letter was sent, it was leaked to the press this last week, and then right after that, Trump tweets out that while he claims to have no intention of doing so, he does have the power to pardon himself. Yeah. Here's the thing. If, if If the laws are written as such that it turns out that the president is essentially above the law, then we need to rewrite that. Because I don't think that's the concept that we have for this nation. It's just, this is something that hasn't been tested quite to this degree before. Well, Chris brought up a very good point that I guess I was aware of on some level, but I, I didn't, it wasn't the forefront of my mind when all this talk of would he pardon, can he pardon himself? First of all, if you pardon someone, that implies guilt. So if he's already planning right. that far down the road, that's, I mean, way, way to fucking look guilty, dude. Well, I mean, you're, I, not, you're, not exactly, you're not exactly quieting your, your critics here. Well, okay, so it, a pardon would come after a, uh, a sentence was given to someone. So they're already found guilty. It's just a question of how just that ruling is seen as. So I don't, it doesn't necessarily imply guilt. I think to him, he could, Trump could pardon himself and feel okay with it and probably get a lot of his followers on board with it as well, based on the fact that this is all just a witch hunt anyway. I mean, the same way that, uh, what was the, the guy that he pardoned 
that was uh, it was the uh, I forget what the name of the law is, but it was basically transporting a white woman across state borders. The Chuck Berry law. <laughs> yeah, but there was there was some specific gentleman that was Jack Johnson. Uh, Jack Johnson, thank you. So, I mean, Jack Johnson was found guilty, and according to the laws of the time, he did break them. Now we look at it as an unjust law, and that's why the, the, the pardon seems reasonable for this. If you consider that the case against Trump is all a witch hunt by the deep state, then it's unjust, and he's perfectly justified in, in using his pardon for his own sake, with a free conscience. Well, I mean, Trump's going to do whatever he wants with a free conscience. He just yeah, he doesn't. That doesn't ever factor in anything he does. But the right. problem you're going to run into here, and uh, goes to what we were talking about on the pre-show stuff with the religion shit, ideological religion, is that I don't think people are taking into account the precedent this is going to set. Because if you can imagine the outrage. 15 years ago or 20 years ago when Bill Clinton was being impeached and he came out and he said, I'll just pardon myself. Can you imagine the, the, the holy outrage that would have been spewing forth from certain segments of the political population? Can you imagine? So if you're thinking forward, do you really, if you're a conservative, and may, maybe you're a Trump bot and you're, you're a big Trumpian and all that, do you really want that precedent set for when a Democrat's in office? Now, right. You know, I don't think people are thinking this. I mean, this is just, this is some King George shit here. You know what I mean? I mean, we're so we're young as a country. We've never experienced anything like this. We've never actually had or been forced into the situation where we have to evaluate whether or not our supreme leader is above the law. It's never come up. And we've never had someone in office with so little respect for the rule of law. To actually come out and say, yeah, I'm going to pardon myself like a king. Right. And, it, you know, in the long term, in the long run, you know, as I think about it, I sit here and think about it. This could, it, you know, if you want to put a positive spin on it, it could be a good thing to have this dressed out. Yes. Because moving forward, then we know how to deal with it. But we got to get through it first. And we have to get through the tribalism and the conflict and everything else that's happening between our two ideological religions. If we can survive that, of course. But... I guess- this is what, really, it's uncharted territory. What really gets me about this is that, yes, we should be looking to the Constitution to find an answer to this question, but it's not like the answer is hidden somewhere in the Constitution and we have to unlock it with the right lawyers, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, we understand as citizens the intent of the Constitution and... We also understand that there's a reason why it's malleable, right? So right. if the Constitution happens to say now, has some, somebody finds a loophole in it where they end up pardoning themselves free of consequence, well, then we're going to fix that. Right. Well, that's, that's the, whole Jeffers, it's, it's the Jefferson's coat thing that's on the Jefferson uh, Memorial in, in D.C. You know, if the coat doesn't fit, you know, it's like trying to I, – I, I won't go into the whole thing, but it's basically if uh, – you don't change the Constitution. It's like trying to fit into a coat that fits you as a kid. Right. You know, it's, it's meant to be, like you said, malleable. It's meant to be fixed, adjusted, altered as people grow, <laughs> supposedly grow wiser. Time goes on and we find problems. Yeah. Suppose, 
You know, that's, that's and how I'd, I'd like to think that there's still a majority in this country, maybe I'm wrong, but that there's still a majority in this country that does not believe that anybody is above the law, up to and including the president. The, the fanatics, man. And I, that's the, the problem is that they have turned, and we took, I think we did talk about this on the last podcast we all did together, is that they are Trump. They're, they're loyal mm-hmm. to Trump, not the party, not the country, not the Constitution, Trump. And I, you know, I wish we could do a census to find out exactly how many of those people, what the exact percentage of the population that is, because that's going to be the problem. Right. Well, I mean, certainly there's some, there seems to be something particular about Trump in this case. But I think also that if we had a Democrat in office that was undergoing the this, this same thing, he'd have just as much rabid support from absolutely. the extreme left. Yep. And they would be saying, oh, no, absolutely he has the right to pardon himself. Yes. This is all bullshit anyway. Right. And so it's how do you- the... It's the extremes in the parties that have no faith in the system. Right. Well, that's a, I think that goes they beyond They just attach the, themselves to personalities. It's not, yeah, it's not that they don't have faith in the system. They, they, have, a, they have a messiah. And they have, again, come back to the religion thing. They have their scripture. They have their religious uh, framework and uh, scaffolding that they're not going to break free from. And it's, if, it's, if it's left or if it's right, it's right. You know what I mean? There's, there's they need no, a new daddy. <laughs> Their own daddy failed them. He didn't discipline them right. He didn't yeah. talk to them about the right things. Their right. god daddy failed them because he turned out to be fake and full of shit. Yeah. So they need a new daddy. That's all it is. Please, just take care of me. Tell me what to do and think. Yeah. You know, that's the, again, I, I mentioned this, I think, in another podcast. I keep saying that. I should stop that. I apologize. But I mentioned it in, in, in something else is that you can get rid of religion and you can get rid of ideology and all these belief systems. But you better be careful because ideolo- ideology will fill that vacuum. You need a religion. You need a belief structure of some sort. Nihilism doesn't work. It makes right. you miserable. It makes everybody around you miserable. Human beings are hardwired genetically and biologically to require something to follow. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is open your damn eyes and look around. People need that or they dry up, shrivel, die, kill people or themselves. It's simple. So you take religion out of the, out of the equation where it's something that's extra governmental. You eliminate that and then you open the door wide open as Stalin did for ideology to replace and supplant religion as the guiding force in in people's minds and in the culture. That's dangerous as hell. That's where totalitarian, totalitarians and dictators and all this other stuff comes from. Because begins. you have, yeah, you have the sole, undying, unbreakable belief in, quote-unquote, God. Stalin, Hitler, insert dictator here. That's the problem. And that's where we are, really. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, if this were, you know, switched to a batshit leftist, in the White House, the people on the far left, not even the far left, uh, I think you could include some of the normal left into that, would undyingly follow the Messiah and believe that he can do no wrong. He's infallible. Just like the people on the far right. And that's the problem we have. Right. Uh, with this, with this they may not purely believe it, but they convince themselves of it because they understand that this is the person that we need right now, right? Functionally, there is no difference. Right, 100%. I'm with you on that. The end result is absolutely the same. Yep. But they, but they, because they're just lying to themselves, really. People are good at that. (laughs) 
Anyway, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of hope I'm trying to keep a, a positive, uh, optimistic viewpoint on all this. And this may be, like I said, it could be a learning experience for us that we know how to handle this moving forward. And maybe, just maybe, you know, I, I can't think this because this is what I thought with Trump and his uh, candidacy that, no, we're not going to let that happen. <laughs> but maybe, maybe the Republicans or enough of them will, you know, uh, stand up and, and say, no, you can't do that. You know, he can pardon himself, but we can impeach you. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, it's one of those things I'd like to think. And history would, would say that, yeah, he, his own party would probably turn on him in that instance. See, but I, if they haven't I, yet, I don't know I, why that would be the turning point. I, I, I think know. we care too much <laughs> about winning now. And I can see them going, yeah, all right, cool, whatever. As long as we come on the winning side, fuck it, cool. We can't, we can't alienate the Trumpians. Then what do we got? Then we got a Democrat president. That's exactly what they're going to say. Right. And, yeah, and that's the problem. It's not the government, man. It's not the, not the parties, and it's not the people, not the politicians. It's us. That's the problem. Well, well, think about what the Republicans were like before Trump as well. This was a party that was sustained by old white people that were dying at, an, at a faster rate. God, guns, and, and country. And they started looking around for to appeal to other groups of people to uh, to stiffen up their base some, and you know they they reached out to women, binders full of women, in fact, <laughs> and uh, and got shut down. They reached out to black people, and they only came away with Kanye, apparently. Yeah, they're coming away with more than him. But, I know. Yeah. I'm I'm oversimplifying it, but you know this is a, this is a party that was grasping at straws. So and they they hold both majorities in the White House. They did something. Absolutely. So, whatever they did, I, I'm not going to say it worked. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> act like I'm giving the stamp of approval here, but it it did. It had whatever they alienated Whitey. Yeah, and I think the left, I think the far left, is just as much to you know to blame for that as anything. Where's the alternative? Where's the sensible alternative here, Hillary? Come on. No, I was not with her. I will never be with her. So, lots of problems out there. I don't, you know, and the thing is, I, it comes to a point where you have to start looking towards solutions and how to solve it. I got no idea. I, I, I don't. We could crowdfund a tractor beam to pull an asteroid towards the planet. <laughs> there you go. Now, now we're talking, like, legitimate, reasonable solutions. <laughs> it's the most sensible thing I've heard in a month. I mean, I, I find myself thinking things like the best case scenario for this country is that we have to see this Trump presidency through. Yeah. That we've gotten this far, it would be a waste not to at least see what the limits of our current system is so we know what to do going forward. We're almost halfway there. We're not dead yet. There's an element, though, to this where, you know, I, I tend to take this uh, sort of an ex- not existentialist, uh, transcendentalist viewpoint on a lot of things anymore mm-hmm. over the last year or so after reading Emerson. And uh, if you look at natural law, and I know this sounds kind of kind of fruity, but if you look at it, you adapt or die. You know, that's that's the fundamental foundation of nature, right? It is what drives evolution, yeah. it's what drives the species, what drives everything. And as a, as a country, if we can't get through this, if we can't ad- adopt or adapt in a sustainable way, there is no saying that we're entitled to stay living if you look at it through that natural, the, the sort of a naturalist uh, lens. We have to do this or we are going to go away. 
it's simple. I mean, we may end up breaking into 15 different countries and, you know, maybe the United States doesn't go away, but maybe it becomes like Italy to Rome. Something will happen, though. And this could be, this is like a litmus test. That, okay, we have a challenge here. What are we going to do? How are we going to, as, as a species, as a collective nationalist species, how are we going to adapt to it? How are we going to adapt to it? Or are we just going to dig our heels in and basically tear each other's throats out until we're all bleeding in the ditch? How is this right. going to happen? And, and the, the people who claim to be the, the most patriotic in this country are the ones who are probably doing the most damage long term. Because if, if you just believe that this country was given to you by God, that we're, all, that we're a, a, a world power that dominates like it does because God willed it, and it had nothing to do with any decisions that our politicians made or anything, we're going to be number one no matter what. It, it, it's like being, uh, uh, or what do they call those extreme religious fanatics that won't even take their kids to the hospital when they're sick? Like yeah. their kids can end up dying. Yeah, my friend Chris is one of those. It's it's <laughs> all in God's hands, right? Right. I got to take exception with that a little bit because I I, I think that w- when you say it's they're mostly to blame, you know, the nationalists. I don't think I I don't know that that's true. I'm not saying it's not true, but I think that you have to have a sense of national cohesion and identity. You have to have that. You have to have a sense of commonality. And the people on the left who, base you know, will proverbially and literally burn the flag and say everything about this country is terrible, and that just pick pick some cliche of choice that comes from the left that mm-hmm. condemns who we are as a nation. That's just as destructive, I think, in my view, to the national unit, the organism, as believing that everything that the United States does is, you know, inspired by God and therefore right. I don't think those two are, uh, I think there's a balance there. Neither one of those two things are really helping anything. And I think that if you'd want to destroy, imagine like you're a family. Imagine you're a family, and yeah. you've got somebody who comes into the family and starts talking bad about to your to your sister, to your brother, to your mom, to your dad, to your cousins, and starts to sort of sow uh, division within the family, and you get at each other's throats. How is that going to work out? That's what I see coming from the left. So I don't know. Right. I, I see your point, but I guess it doesn't seem as bad as the blindly patriotic to me, because it's, at least they're challenging something. I mean... I may not agree with it, but I... there are elements on that side of the of the conversation. I, I understand what you're saying. I agree with you. I, I I think that in a lot of ways there are a lot of people, and I don't want to get too generalized here. Uh, a lot of people on the left who legitimately want to improve things, but there right. are a lot of folks over there that that <laughs> the Antifa folks. And other parts of the very, very far left that want to tear the capitalist system down completely. There are people who are, there are increasing numbers of people who go to these marches who are actually pro-communist. It's not out of the realm of acceptability to wear the hammer and sickle on your face now. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's not, that goes back. There was plenty of uh, people supporting the left at the the Berkeley riot that happened over a garbage can. Um, that they were wearing openly the hammer and sickle, smash capitalism, smash patriarchy, smash all this. It's yeah. and they connect it all in their head. And there's their, their attitude is there is no saving the system as is. Right. 
We just have to tear it down and then guarantee a quality of outcome for all. And it's like, how the fuck can what you do, do that? that? What would you call that? What would you call that utopia if you had to give it a name? <sighs> Fantasy Island? Communism. It no, is well, communism. No, no, no I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying, but I mean, yeah. the problem is, is it, I, and I, I pose this, to, 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 this question to so many people over the years, if it was, if it's a this, I am very much a result-based person. I don't give a fuck what it's called as long as it works. If it's going to work, and it's working, leave it alone. But you need to show me a track record that shows that says this can work. And in smaller societies, in smaller groups, basically commune type size groups, couple hundred people tops. Yeah, it'll work. Three hundred seventy million or whatever we have in this country. No, no. it's not going to work. It's yeah, not it going to work. It can only work in groups of uh, what is it, one hundred and fifty people. Yeah, Outside of that, we, yeah. we, yeah, it just becomes a blur. We, we, we stop seeing people as others. If you're in a group of less than one hundred and fifty people in a small community like that, you get to know everyone. You think of every person as an individual with individual rights. That's why, and once you start getting over that number, you need systems to keep things in place and go, hey, keep in mind, you may not know your neighbor, but he has just as many rights as you do. You see, you see when you're in a group that small and smaller, you see people as sort of an extended family. Yeah. Member of your tribe. Right. And you and get so, beyond that, then you start looking for the other. Yeah. And that's where you, that's why you have religion and now governments, I guess, that's replacing that. Right. Well, let's also have not, that bigger family to be a part of. Let's also not forget that I believe the average historically for most empires lifespan is around 250 to 300 years. And according to a school of thought that makes a lot of sense to me, the five stages of an empire were definitely in stage five decline and, and legacy. We, we, we've we were we this is this this is America as being the world power is coming to an end period it's it's we all know money well, runs we, we we all know money runs the government we all there are five the major banks have five lobbyists for every congressman how can the people combat that? They can't. Okay, well, so we're we're going to we're going to stop being country, beat our chest proud, and we're just going to be one big corporation eventually. And whatever they can milk out of us, whatever resources that these corporations can get out of us, they're going to just suck us dry. I mean, it doesn't matter what country you're in at that point. It doesn't matter what imaginary line you live on the side of. Well, because it's not it's going to be money talks. Let's not be let's let's not try to victimize ourselves here too much because a lot of these corporate we're doing this willfully. They're making us fat. They're making us comfortable. We have a standard of living and a level of comfort in our lives that is mm-hmm. off the map historically. We're not exactly being drugged by a chain around our neck into this situation. You know, with technology and phones and and it's just you can I guess look at it across the whole social spectrum. How comfortable we like our plush little cage. It's yeah. not just them; they're doing it because we're letting them. We're following that bread that breadcrumb trail willingly. Well, and what, why I agree completely. What is the option? Bloody revolution. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. No, that's exactly. I, I, if you look back historically, if you want to, now if we're having a, a historical context conversation here, that's exactly what Rome was afraid of in their decline. That the mob would take to the streets and basically rip their heads off and put them on stakes. It's either that or it's piecemeal reform. Take your pick. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to, to have that kind of reform, it doesn't start with the government. It starts with us. We have to change the attitudes we have toward materialism, comfortism, and uh, tribalism. Yeah, I, I can probably list 53 isms here. I won't. I'm merciful. But that's where it has to start. It doesn't, it's not going to be dictated and legislated. It's not going to be a group of activists marching on Washington, D.C. or the state capitol in Lansing imposing this upon people. That won't, that'll never work. People will go, even if it's the right thing to do, people will go against that just simply because they will not be forced to do something they choose not to do. I think if, if we're looking at this historically, it's certainly foolish to disregard history altogether. At the same time, I don't know if you can apply that as a template to what we're experiencing um, I, I think a good part of the reason for the success of this country is because it is almost the, the next step in evolution for what a country can be and the fact that it can literally evolve on its own. Many of these systems fell because they were too rigid, too tied to certain ideals. Mm-hmm. But let's not forget, and, let's not forget so, that... Well, we're not the only country that's doing this. China is just draining Africa of its natural resources the same way we do the Middle East. I, it's, it, there's, there's, this, this, what I'm saying is this isn't us only. This isn't an American creation. This is greed run amok, and the people at the top don't give a shit about what country you're from. Can you put more money in their pocket? That's what they care about. I, and uh, that's a very scary thing because the, the less upward mobility you have, the less of an opportunity you have to move up, to join, to, to get to the next step, the next level, if you want, of the pyramid, the less power you have. And it's going to get to the point where what's going to happen? People, yeah, it's wonderful right now. Our, 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 our standard of living is as high as it's ever been in recorded history. I absolutely understand that. At the same time, people are getting tired of working three, four jobs to fucking equal what used to be one job. And they're going to continue to get tired of it. People are going to get tired of politicians passing laws that lobbyists have paid them basically to pass that fucked them over. I mean, it's the, it's the infamous quote. It's, it's capitalism for the poor. It's socialism for the rich. Mm. And, I think, I, and I, we're, I, starting, we're starting to have people on both sides who are waking up to this. The problem is they can't agree on what to do. That's where you get anger. You get Antifa. You get the white people who are, I, I, I will not be replaced. That's all fucking, that's, that's window dressing on a house that's on fire. It's, uh, you know, to me, from what I see, anyway, and from what I, I see outside of social media, it's a drop in the necessary bucket. There's this whole thing that uh, Che Guevara used to say that revolutions without guns don't work and fat people don't revolt. Mm. People who are fed don't 
revolt. They won't. They're comfortable. They're not going to go out and do what's necessary to overthrow a system, possibly get shot, possibly die, possibly watch their friends and family die in the streets as they oppose the, the power structure. They do not do that unless they're starving. Simple. And as long as people are comfortable, as long as people are fed, whether or not they got to work two or three jobs, they're not starving. They're not going to do, and I, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, Rich. I'm trying to keep it in the, in, in the I guess, the, 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 the practical aspect, like what are people and what would it take for people to do something actually tangible enough to, to break and then rebuild the system. We do not have any of those elements in place here. They're going to go to Twitter, and they're going to show their outrage on Twitter. They're going to go carry signs in Washington, D.C., and then they're going to go back to their two or three jobs and not put their asses on the line because you know what it's really it's not worth it and and that's the scariest part of this entire thing that is that there i the 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 way historically change has been brought about is almost all but off the table at this point because of everything you just said so what does that what does that leave? It takes that us leaves- back to what Aaron was saying. Oh, okay. It it takes us right yeah. back to it takes you right takes us right back to what you were saying. You were running down a really good path there for a second, Aaron, because we are at a point in history that we nobody has ever been here before. So we're either going to prove I think it was Plato or I think it was Plato or Aristotle, one of the two when democracy was first conceived in Greece, one of them said it dev- it will not work. It, they just flat out said it's never going to work because it's going to be taken over by oligarchs, mm-hmm. the powerful, the rich. They're going to control everything, and democracy will fail. You can go read it. I, I, you have to figure out who said it. I forget. Right. No matter uh, how you divvy up power, they're going to find a way to accumulate it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, if, if, in a capitalist system, yeah, I mean, look at the cell phone companies. This is just a, a, a very broad but really good, I think, telling example. How many phone companies did we have 15 years ago? As companies make more money and as companies get more powerful, they start buying up things. And all of a sudden, you have less choice. I think you can, you can apply that across the board. You can apply that to lobbying slash corruption. You know, as these companies get more powerful, so the, the gun lobby is a perfect example. As a gun lobby gets more powerful, it has more control. It gobbles up our, our representation. This is exactly what I think they were talking about in ancient Greece. So to take it back to your point, Aaron, that we are at a point that there is no roadmap here. We can look to history a little bit, but we've never been, nobody's ever been here. And what we do, and I think it ties into the Trump thing, I think it ties into a lot of things we're talking about, what we do from this point forward is going to decide whether or not we evolve or die as a country. And nobody knows. There is no roadmap here, kids. None. Right, because we're experiencing this. This is an exponential uh, <laughs> uptick in in what we're experiencing like yeah it's, it's like technology you know it's why it's so difficult to predict what what technology is going to come down the line because you only have the past to look to right and meanwhile the graph in front of you is, from your perspective might as well be going straight up that's exactly right. And it, to, to expound on your technology point look at the internet I mean we uh, what has ever affected people and the way people share information, form their views, the way this thing that we're communicating on right now has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you factor that into history? How do you, how do you add that to the equation? You can't. Right. Maybe, maybe the Gutenberg, but I mean, that was a drop in the, in the bucket again, a drop in the ocean compared to what this is doing. As a quick aside, if, 
anyone listening is interested in what we're talking about right now, highly recommend Stephen Fry's podcast called Great Leaps. Oh, Great Leap Years is what it's called. And I think he has eight episodes. Each one covers a certain technology. I think the first one was the Gutenberg Press. Yeah. And it just explores that, not only the, the, the actual history of making it, but what its effect had on technology going forward. And each episode go, goes forward but ties everything from the previous episodes together. I would highly recommend also, down that line and in that vein, uh, The Shallows by Nicholas Carr. It's a book. I uh, get it on Amazon. It's a bestseller, but it goes into that, that technological, how, how it changes people, how technology mm-hmm. changes the culture in ways that cannot be predicted. Right. Well, there, that was what was kind of blowing my mind of the episode that he had on the Gutenberg Press. He was talking about all, these, all this language that they had for this process. And he was tying it directly into phrases that we still use today, not even knowing what they mean. Right. To be in a certain cast, to be typecast. Yeah. Uh, to, I'm trying to remember some of the others, but it's so ingrained into our culture now. And that's a, that's a perfect example of how technology is changing us in ways that we don't even understand. Yeah. We don't Marshall, you know, Go back. Yeah. I would, yeah, I'm just going to add, sorry about yeah. that, but I was just going to add that if, once you're, if, you, if you check out Nicholas Carr, also Marshall McLuhan, I mean, he wrote the Bible on this back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, drawing a blank on the name of the damn book. <laughs> Sorry, but Marshall McLuhan's the guy, the author's name. Uh, it's a seminal work on how technology and culture interact in ways that you are not even aware of and how it changes people. So, well, so I guess the, the only question is like, can people organize for their own purposes to wrestle back power? Probably, I, you know, that's companies. that's the thing, and it, it uh, Jordan Peterson goes into uh, advantage. No, th- that isn't Jordan Peterson. I'm I'm actually reading Dostoevsky. I think it's Dostoevsky or Dostoevsky or however you say. It's Russian writer from the 1800s. Right. I'm reading Notes from the Underground, and uh, fantastic, quick read. By the way, you guys, I, I highly recommend it. It's awesome. Uh, but he's talking about, and this is it was something that I was talking about a moment ago, where people do not always act to their own advantage. They do what the fuck they want, whether it's in their best interest or not. And there's an, there's an aspect, a psychological aspect, that human beings need struggle. They need to fight for something. I, think, I personally think it's something that, that stems back thousands of years to when we were fighting in the jungle and we had the survival instinct, that we had to struggle against nature, against beasts and other people. It's still in there. So when people have things too well in order, they look for ways to sabotage that whole nirvana just so they have something to fight and work towards. People do this on an individual level all the fucking time. All the time. It's like uh, you guys have seen The Matrix, right? And you know where uh, Agent Smith is sitting there talking to Neo or Morpheus, one of the two, and they're saying the first um, uh, uh, incarnation of The Matrix, they made everything perfect. And the people rebelled against it. They hated it. They couldn't accept that everything was perfect. And and that's exactly what I thought of when I was reading that book. Because people do that. And I think that, to go back to your question, that will people act to their advantage? That's how he put it in uh, Notes from the Underground, is their advantage or in their best interest. I don't think so. Uh I think people will do what the hell they want to do just so they feel like they're still an individual. Well, that's like the first story was about, right? Adam and Eve. Look, you got everything you fucking want, the best of all the world right here at your fingertips. Wasn't good enough. 
just don't eat that apple. Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't don't partake of the knowledge. It's a really interesting thing, though. If you you gotta, I, I think rather than, you know, if we're talking about solutions, Rich, going back to what you were what you were talking about, what the alternatives are. It's not an institutional structural thing. It has to come from us. And to take, yeah, I think we need to take into account human nature, human psychology, not how we want it to be, and not how maybe we think we are on the surface but how people actually behave, what human nature actually entails. And that's the problem. Isn't that, isn't that why Jordan Peterson pisses so many people off? Yes. that's really what he's talking about, yes, right? Yes, not, yes, not talking, yes, yes. Not operating in ideals and trying to shape everything to what you believe it should be. Yes. That, that man scares the living piss out of the left, and he should. Right. He absolutely or even, should. Th- this is something that uh, Adam Kroll and Dr. Drew would talk about all the time, going all the way back to Loveline is uh, the phrase they used for it was a polar bear is a polar bear. Like you have to study the polar bear, not as what you want that to be, but how it acts. That's how you get to know. He's like, you can, in relation to people, you know, because they get all these calls from people that have problems. And uh, all they're looking at is, look, there's a pattern here. If somebody calls and they say this and this happened to me, well, you're probably that. Doesn't mean (laughs) all of them are, right? right? But if I study the polar bears... And all of them do this, and they're healthy, and a few of them do that, and they're not. I'm not making personal judgments on each polar bear and trying to interview them for their motivations. I'm just looking at raw data. (laughs) You know what you did? You brought up the Scientologists earlier, and that's exactly what they do. They want God to be in charge and not the Scientologists. God damn it. Ah, I thought it was the Scientologists. The ones that uh, Jesus will get rid of my kids' chicken pox people. Um, Oh, Oh, yeah. Uh, whoever I, they are, what the fuck are they? Chris, Google that. Christian, Christian scientists. Christian scientists. There we go. Thank you. Is now, that really? Yeah, that's they're they're okay. like they're the people that that believe that God heals everything and you don't need doctors. But they're trying to operate under the belief, you know, under the utopia, what they want to happen. They want God to take care of them when they get sick. That's not how it works. That's not reality. You know, they're not operating on what is. They're operating on what they want. And well, that's why kids of, die. A lot of the <clears throat> a lot of the issues that I have with people when they start taking Peterson to task is I go, what? What is your issue with him? And it's always one or two issues. It's the Bill C sixteen. He was against compelled speech by the Canadian government, or they feel that he's some sort of uh, wolf in sheep's clothing from the alt right, uh, trying to play a centrist to pull in people basically like, well, like like a few of us on this podcast, that people that feel that we didn't, we didn't walk away from the left. The left abandoned us, mm-hmm. looked at us and said, you're no longer needed. And I'm like, okay, all right, well, those two things aside, is it really that or is it because he gives, and you can go on YouTube and watch any number of lectures he's given to classes, some of these going back to the 90s, you could tell by his sweet ho- uh, hockey hair, and he, where he's, he's breaking it down and he's, he's explaining, we do not practice what you don't want to become. Because if, once you set those neural pathways, they're very hard to change, and it's almost, it's almost impossible. The best you can do is put something there to inhibit this behavior that you've, you've basically trains yourself to do and you get a little you get a little high every time you do it 
you know, it's like a comedian. Someone laughs, makes him feel good. So he goes for the next laugh, the next laugh. And he said, you know, he says things like stress, mental illness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We'll, def- we'll we'll short circuit these in these in you know inhibitors that you've installed in there. So it's important not to ins- to 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 get ingrained in these bad habits in the first place. All of that is to me just common sense. So at some point, it's how dare you make me take personal responsibility for anything I've done, right? That's the attitude I get from it. As That's if, it exactly. That's as, exactly in a nutshell. Yeah. As if everything is fated and we have no say in what happens. And this is coming from people who don't believe in God for the most part. And I'm like, you're spouting the same bullshit I heard in fucking Sunday school. Yeah. I just finished uh, Peterson's 12 Steps book. I, I spent the last uh, couple of weeks. Actually, I started after our last uh, joint podcast and then uh, finished it last week. And um, that book rattled me a little bit uh, simply because of what you were talking about right there. It, it's it's a book that uh, is designed to get you to grab the wheel of your own life and quit blaming everybody else for where you're at. It's a really simple, basic, a fundamental idea, and it's stuff that you know a lot of people in uh, self-help groups and um, uh, substance abuse groups and all this uh, outside of AA preach. You know, yeah, maybe you were a victim. Shit happens. Shit happens to everybody. When are you going to stop blaming something else and actually take control and responsibility for your own life, right? And uh, one, of the, one of the things that really struck me and really hit me like a sledgehammer in my head out of that book was, you know, you know what? Get your own life in order before you start telling other people how to live. If you can't get your own damn life in order, even on a basic sense, even in a basic fundamental sense, who the hell are you to step up and start telling people how to run a city or a community or a country? Or a belief system. If you can't do that, you have no cause to stand. And it really, it, it just, it, it just hit me like a thunderbolt, because that's what we have an epidemic of that now. That people who will take to the internet or wherever else, take to the streets, acting like they've got everything figured out, acting like they're perfect, acting like they are a pristine, all-knowing being that has the solution for everything. But if you were to dig deep into the morrow of who they are, the fundamental basis or uh, core of their lives, if you could see it, if they didn't hide it from you, you'd find some of the most disgusting, just just uh, out of control people in their own lives. Who the hell are they to tell anybody else? I, How I, I agree with the sentiment up to a point because you're going to have people that are, that are going to take it too far and they're going to say, oh, so you can't criticize anyone until you're perfect. And it's like, right. no, and, and you're going to have people, that, here's, the, here's the beauty of perception. You're going to have people that are going to take it too far and say that sarcastically, and people that are going to take it too far and say it earnestly. Remember the Dennis Doctrine? Yes. Fuck those people. You can't please everybody. One of the things that, one of the things, the, the, one of the best pieces of advice I, I had ever had from a friend was regarding addiction. And he said, look, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you whether it's a disease, it's a choice. I don't give a shit. The point is, some people can't stop at one or two. Once you identify that in yourself, yeah, you may not be responsible for the wiring in you that reacts differently to drugs or alcohol than the average person, but you are responsible for your behavior, for the care (laughs) of that. Exactly. For for, For how you react to that. 
Yeah, you're responsible so you're whether or not there, you take that first drink. Exactly. Yeah, you're in control of yourself before the first drink. So you lose your you lose control after four. How did you get to four? Whose fault was that? Did the did, did the beer jump up in your hand with a gun and shove it down down your throat? Exactly. And that is for some reason that that to me at least piece of common sense that I grew up being told, and, and everyone pretty much for the most part seemed to agree on, is now, it, it's just as bad as getting up and in, 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 in screaming racial epithets in the middle of the street. Yeah. It's, I, how dare you say that? That is such hateful and hurtful language you're using. What is wrong with you? And it's like, so what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just fucking go, well, it's not my fault. Pass, pass me the fucking rig and I'll tie off and fucking slam it right here because it's not my fault. I can't well, help it. It's it's not that simple either. I mean, what we normally see from people who abuse drugs in some way is some history of abuse. So just like Jordan Peterson was saying that uh, you know things that stress you out in your life make it hard to put those blockers against your own normal hardwired self-destructive behavior. This is a perfect example of that. I mean, sure that. It's a, a choice to have those few drinks to get to you to that place where you are no longer in control. But it's it's really difficult to make that choice. Well, who else when, is going to do it for? Who else well, is going to do it though? No. That's the thing. You've got to you've got to take responsibility for, for for that. And it's a dragon, man. It's huge and it's big and it's nasty and it breathes fire. But you've got to slay it, or it's your life. You have to do it. Nobody else can do that for you. And that's, I, I think, the crux of what, where Peterson was coming from uh, with a lot of this stuff, is that you have got to attack that. Nobody, you can't, you can't uh, contract that out to somebody else. You can't blame somebody else. You've got to do it, or else your life doesn't mean enough to you, and it's going to end. Well, I mean, even if you do have somebody that you could directly point at and say, you, you know, you abused me and ruined my life, there's still the question. I mean, that, that's not a solution, right? That's fantastic. <laughs> At least a lot of people don't even have that, to be honest right. with you. But, but it's still no solution to move <laughs> no. forward. No, you, you're still at the wheel, man. Right. You're still at the wheel of your life, one way or another. And it comes down to, I, I'm getting, I, I don't want to sound too cold about this, but I think it, it does go back to that dentist thing that I keep talking about, that, you know, it, your life has to mean something. You have to care enough for yourself and your family, your children, your well-being, Whatever purpose you have or may potentially find at some point, you've got to care enough about that to take care of yourself. And if you don't, I'm sorry, it, it goes back to the transcendentalists and the law of nature. If you can't do that, you are going to cease to exist at some point. And the world will go on. Millions of people have done that. Millions of people have died because they did not give a shit enough about themselves to take control of their lives and make it better. The world won't skip a beat when you're gone, kids. This is you. And see, this is, it, that's something that I, I am insanely aware of, and I just don't give a shit. <laughs> right. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know any I, other way to put it. The world doesn't care about me as a person. I totally understand it. I'm not angry about that, because for the most part, I don't give a fuck if most of the world can live forever or die, drop dead right now, and it will not affect me one bit, period. That is the reality of life. And, so, and this, this bullshit, I'm about to get on that in the Bill Hicks bandwagon or, or soapbox, this bullshit backslapping, aren't humanity, aren't we neat? No, the fuck we're not. 
We're horrible creatures for the most part, especially when you get us into a mindless horde. We do horrible shit and justify it and rationalize it, and we turn a blind eye to the reality of the world that we created, yeah. and we don't give a shit. Again, and, I'm gonna, I'll take you back to the, 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 the Jordan Peterson book. He gets into that a lot. He gets into that a ton, and it's, it's, people are split species. We're, we're, we have the, this thing about us where we're capable of, it's like in you know, the movie Contact where Jodie Foster's sitting there chatting with dear old dad. And he's like, you guys are capable of beautiful things and such horrible evils. It's the duality. It's the biblical sort of uh, parable. The devil and God reside. They both reside within us. We are capable. I mean, we're not. I, it's really, to me, it's, I think it's dangerous. And I'm, I've changed a little bit in this. It may surprise you to say it. I don't want to say that we're a terrible, nasty-ass species. Because we do some wonderful things. And we have a lot of potential, but there's this strain inside of us that does exactly what you're talking about. That have, we have a tendency to do brutal, evil things to, to each other. And I think that, I don't want to, again, I don't want to hijack the, the conversation in another direction, but this, this takes me back to where I was personally wrong about uh, theology. Because that is the thing that keeps that evil strain, keeps that devil on the shoulder in check. That's why people need it, because each and every one of us inside of us has the capability for good and the capability for evil. And a lot of people need that structure and that guidance system to stay sort of on the right path. Without it, what do you got? Right, right. What if do you, you have? If you've outgrown... <laughs> yeah. No, if, if you've outgrown religion, more power to you, but if you're just having it stripped away from you, the state is not going to be a reasonable replacement. <laughs> no. Ask, ask Stalin about that. Go read the Gulag Archipelago. It, it's, so. it, I think another problem we have, except for in ever-shrinking intellectual circles at least, is that, especially in pop culture, especially in Western pop culture, we fetishize youth. We act like everything sacred and important comes from, 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 from young people and somehow yeah. the, the, you know, out of the mouths of babes... And you know, I, and all this shit. I was young, and, I didn't know dick. I don't know dick now, but I at least know that I don't know dick. That's wisdom. Know, having, having, <laughs> what is, what is, <laughs> the true knowledge is knowing that you know nothing. Dude, that's us. That, that, that's Socrates, bitch. Yeah. That's so crazy. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, over Memorial Day, like HBO does, and, and I think, I think it's HBO every year, they run the Band of Brothers uh, miniseries, and, and instead of really focusing, because I've seen it a few, more than a few times, instead of really focusing on the the flashback parts, I really listened to what the actual veterans were saying, and I found online where someone edited together all the actual interviews with the real real people that were there, and you heard these men saying things like, you know, I sometimes think back and I wonder. You know, you know, when I was there, it was, you know, fuck these crowds. They're the worst, you know, Germans are the worst people in the world. Sometimes I think, well, he's just a soldier doing his job. If it wasn't for this war, we might have actually been friends. We might have went hunting, fishing together, whatever. You never hardly hear that type of insight from a young person going through the shit. That's only wisdom that comes from looking back and reflecting on it. And for some reason, and it just, and it's just to give an example... That gets that gets ignored. It's it's like in the, it's like in the world of popular music. Once you reach a certain age, all of a sudden they slap you with the term "dated," and you're no, no longer relevant. Because well, you know everybody knows the best 
albums of anybody's career is their first, you know, four or five. And then it just becomes, well, I'm just writing this album to cash a check. And that's backwards in a, from, from historically a lot of cultures where the older you were, the wiser you were, the more experienced you were, the more your opinions and the higher they were held and the more they were revered. And it's just something that blows my mind. Because as, a, as someone who's entering and, and very comfortably in the middle of middle age for the average life expectancy, um, no one really gives a shit what, what, what people our age has to say for the most part. Unless we're voting with our dollars. Well, I, it, I wonder if it has something to do with uh, having a uh, useful megaphone in young people. Because young people are typically malleable. They don't have a lot of you know, uh, life experience to go by. They're easily convinced one thing or another. Um, they're just not that wise, to be honest with you. And I wonder if it's really easy by the shiny objects. Yeah, and I wonder if it's really easy to sort of puff them up with this this notion that you know, um, glorifying youth and glorifying the voice of the young because they can be shaped to basically spout what you tell them to spout. Yeah, and you can encourage that. You know, it reminds me. It reminds me of these uh, the the Parkland kids. You know, they think they're all knowing and all wise. They're eighteen-year-old dipshits who are basically megaphones for the anti-gun lobby. Absolutely. I mean, it, when you sit and listen to David Hogg give us give one of his speeches at like the the one of the rallies that he was at, it is a completely different person that is talking when you see someone shooting cell phone video of him sitting at a kitchen table having a conversation with people. He right. talks like a normal seventeen. Fuck these adults. They're so stupid. What's what's scary about that is that when you get to, to talking to, to, to some of the younger people and their attitude is like, I don't want to know that shit. It's not even apathy. It's just, I don't want to. That's old shit. I don't care. Willful ignorance. And one of the things I explained to a, to a coworker one time, I said, what are you going to do when you're 40 and some 15-year-old walks up to you and says, two plus two equals five because I said so. And your opinion is 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 rooted in ignorance and hatefulness because you're this old, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, what are you going to fucking do? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How are you going to handle that? And it, with, with the with all the arrogance and wonderful ignorance of youth, I heard that'll never happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, they'll just have an implant in their uh, VR that just filters out everyone above thirty. <laughs> They won't even see that. Uh, like that black, hear is like barking dogs or something. It'll be like that John Hamm Black Black Mirror episode where they can just block us in real life. Right. <laughs> We're just a blob. They yeah. don't even see us as human anymore. Ooh, I want, I want, out. What's that called? I want to see that. It's just cat videos. That <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, was that from the last epi- uh, last season of Black Mirror. That was their Christmas uh, episode. It's on Netflix. That's yeah. That that I think came out between the seasons. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's it's it's. I, I believe the episode's titled "White Christmas." I believe. Don't hold me to it. But it's the only one with John Hamm in it. So, right. pretty easy to to look up if you're interested in seeing it. It is really. It, it's kind of scary how much I've watched that show, and I've been like, uh, that's a little too on the nose it's for me. What I like about that. That 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 pro- whole program, what I've seen of it. Well, the the so, whole, the whole. Um, oh shit! Who's Opie's kid? The actress. Titus, no time for pretense. Yeah, uh, I'm talking about. Uh, I free, yeah, from Jurassic Park. I forget her name, but she has the episode where basically your whole life it revolves around your personal rating. 
Oh, and I've seen that one. And then they, and then in China, she's, she's supposed to go to the wedding. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you have to have over a certain rating to get certain things. Or if you go to rent a car and your rating's not high enough, you get a shit car. And right. you can't live in certain areas, etc. It's basically a social credit rating. And you now have China talking about implementing something along those lines. To where, well, if you if you don't have a high enough rating, well, then you can't fly. Because we don't know that you're going to behave yourself on a plane. Let's be honest here. The vast majority hey, of people behave themselves. Let's I not be hasty. I, 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 see, I, knew, I knew Chris was going to perk up on that one. But Chris, honestly, besides bitching, griping, complaining, the vast majority of people are not being drug off of planes against their fucking will while screaming. Fuck Let's no. be honest. I've, no, of course I've, not. I've, never, I've seen that in five years. I've taken hundreds of flights. I'm not trying to brag, just trying to bring perspective to it. Ooh. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, I've never seen, you know, I've seen someone dragged off a plane on a YouTube video. Exactly. Okay, let me interject. I've flown twice this year <laughs> down to Peru, and I've seen it once. It actually happened down wow. in Peru. I have so video. I, I can give you the video. Chance <laughs> if you're flying between the uh, days of December 15th and December 31st of 2017, yes. <laughs> but I'll, I'll put the video together just for you now, Chris. I have it. I filmed the whole thing on my iPhone, and it's it's glorious. Were they being they, they, drunk and belligerent? No, you know they uh, they were. <laughs> oh, put it they, this way: what the, the narrative was always, you know, it happened for no reason. Did somebody just walk up and drag this person off of the plane? No, they uh, they they had too many bags, and they didn't want to check. They were just going so. down the aisle, going eeny, meeny, <laughs> yeah, no, no, with a bat over her shoulder and a red neck. <laughs> <off. laughs> Nothing like, like that. <laughs> this this dipshit actually ran and shoved one of the uh, gate attendants because well, down there, there you go, there you go, exactly, there you go. exactly. And then he sits down, and they come. Of course, they're going to take him off the damn plane now, right? Why is he rushing past the gate attendant? They better take him off the plane. And uh, he just sits there because there's this law in Peru, apparently, that for whatever reason, at least in Iquitos, that the police cannot touch you. They cannot physically touch you. So all he had to do was sit in his seat and not move. We sat there for an hour, them trying to talk him off the plane. And you know what they did? They came up, and they deplaned everyone back into the terminal. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, it took him took them five minutes to quote unquote convince him ah. <laughs> to get off they that got plane. Rid of all the witnesses. Yes, that's exactly what they did. There was no blood scene. <laughs> I don't know what they did, but I'm I, I'm assuming a taser probably had. Like, something that's just to do. always been my gripe with all this stuff. Is like it, it's not like someone just showed up. It ain't like it's the f- second or third time. It's usually by like time thirty, they're finally going. All right, motherfucker, you gotta right. go. Right, but yeah. they don't tell you that part. <laughs> oh, is, I, I'm going to do that video for you, Chris. You'll love it. But it's, honestly, getting getting back to the point I was making, as much as we bitch and complain about the shit you have to go through when you travel, especially if you're flying, especially if you remember pre nine eleven days, yeah, um, that's oh well, oh oh fucking well. That's part of it. That's it, we absolutely have a right to bitch and complain and be like, this is horse shit. What we don't have a right to do is fuck up everybody else's traveling experience because right. we want to act like jackasses. Yes. And, yes. and act like somehow we're above the law. Stop. And most people understand that. Stop making me yeah. late because you want to take a stand. Right. Uh, and uh, that's... Got shit to do. That's the scary part. And, it's, and, and the even scarier part of, of, that, of that idea of a social credit rating is how many people 
would go, eh, no, I'm not, eh, it'll never happen. And then you start to explain in certain situations, this would happen, this person wouldn't be allowed here. Then you'd be like, oh, wait a minute. So you have to have a credit, social credit rating over X, be able to shit out little miracles? Hey, hmm. you got that shit on ride sharing. Like the, the <laughs> not only the drivers have the ratings, passengers have ratings too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, rated, I rated a bitch zero stars the other day because she made me go to the McDonald's drive-thru. You know, here's, here's a creepy thought for you. And imagine, you know, they're, you're talking about China. But imagine that in sort of a, well, I don't know if they're totalitarian. I've never been there. But imagine that it put to use in a totalitarian place. What are you going to do or what are, the, what are the chances or what are the possibilities of coming up with things you can do to, quote, unquote, re-educate people with a low credit rating? You know, how do you, what happens when you define and uh, sort of desi- designate these people as antisocial? How do you re-socialize I, them? I think the scarier question is there is a interest and it's it's a it's a monetary one in not re-socializing these people to have a permanent underclass to scare the shit out of the people who are thinking about this is a dumb system but i really don't want to end up like that person those are used those that's a useful deterrent i mean it's that's an old george carlin bit the middle class are there to prop up the rich and the poor are there to scare the shit out the middle class to keep propping up the rich well it kind of ties into what i was saying if you if you throw these people into camps Re-education camps, re-socialization camps, and you hear the horror stories come out of that. That sort of adds to the the impetus to not be one of them, doesn't it? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, if you take a – jail is a very good deterrent. <laughs> well, sometimes. I mean, yeah. well, yeah. Yeah. you get people that you get people that are like jail, three hots in a cot, and I could pretty much do what I want. All right, that's that, that's right. you know, but those are for the I would God. I don't know if I have this much faith in humanity left. I hope those are in the very, very minority. But, you know, some days I'm like, ah, it wasn't for the threat of jail. Wasn't it, wasn't it Dostoevsky that went into that in Crime and Punishment? That if, if it wasn't for the threat of jail, most people would, to do, the right, to do the right thing because you know it's the right thing to do morally is not the same as doing the right thing because you're afraid if you do the wrong thing, you go to jail. Right. It's a coward's way out. Right. Right. You know, right. and I would like to think there are more of the type, you know, the first example than the second, but I kind of wonder sometimes. Uh, <laughs> there are. There are a lot more. There are. I, I haven't. I, every, I, I get cave thinking when I'm here, you know, when I'm, I'm not out traveling and doing things off out of the house. Uh, and when I'm here, I, I take that viewpoint as well. But I know from experience and some pretty intense experiences that most people out there, the vast, vast majority of people out there are just decent people trying to get through their day. They're not looking to, you know, break the law and, and, and wish they could go out and steal something, but won't because the only reason is they're not going to go to jail. Most people are fine. Uh, I, I, like I said, I, ho- I hope. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like red at the end of Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, we always, you know, we always sort of perceive what we aim at. And uh, we manifest in front of us what we're looking at. And what? it's real easy, you know, to focus on all that stuff and to go on social media and, and, and assume that everybody's a fucking moron and this and this. And this. But, you know, you get into the organic world and you, you actually start looking at people and not doing it through, you know, a, a sort of a negative lens. If you can do it through something as close to objective as you can find or actually start looking for decent people, you find there are, they're all over the place. They really are. 
Well, one of the one of the most <laughs> one of the most eye opening documentaries I watched recently was one on Netflix called The Survivor's Guide to Prison, and it takes you with people who were falsely imprisoned for twenty years. One of the guys was on death row, and it takes you literally from day to day life for the average American. We commit three. The average American commits three felonies in a in a day, without even knowing it, and how easy it is to get caught into the system, especially if you don't have money backing you up. Right, and it's it's it was it was kind of terrifying and eye opening because it's like the the less you are considered on the social scale on the where you're at on the ladder is the more expendable you you become, and at that point if you're a detriment, well throw them in for to a, a for profit prison. Let's make money off this person. Right, and we don't give yeah. a shit the conditions. Right. There's the, that's how come the, the, you hardly see a prison called a penitentiary anymore. It's not about penance. Right. It's not. It's, it's about housing, warehousing, to be, to be exact. That's all it is. And it's all done for a profit. Human capital. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, ugh. It, it, was, it was a very, very eye-opening documentary, especially in the ways of how prosecutors... And I mean, we've talked about this before sometimes on the show, way overcharge and then come to you after you, especially if you can't make bail and you sit in county jail for like, you know, a month or two and they come to you and they go, okay, if you plead guilty to this, we'll let you off with time served and you have four years of probation. And most people after two months in county jail, especially if you have no street smarts and no connections to the street are like, get me the fuck out of here. Did you guys, I'm uh, ready to go. Did you pay attention to the MLB draft this week? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, t- the Tigers draft a little bit. Yeah, yeah. there's this kid. That shit. There's this kid. Who... <laughs> Aaron's wearing his sports shirt today. <laughs> <laughs> Literally says sports, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Now there's this kid out at. Uh, he's a pitcher for Oregon State. He's uh, a lot of people think he's probably maybe one of the best pitchers in the draft. And this kid uh, was convicted at the age of 15 of molesting his six-year-old niece. He pleaded guilty to it. And uh, somehow, typically those records are sealed when you're a minor. And somehow the information came out before they sealed the records, so now everybody in the world knows about it. And uh, the kid denies doing anything. He said he pleaded guilty because they offered him a deal saying he would not get any jail time in exchange for a plea, a guilty plea. So anyway, this kid's one of the best pitchers in the draft. He should have probably gone in the late first round, early second round, which is up there. I mean, you're talking a, a, at least a million-dollar signing bonus at that, uh, in that range. And nobody drafted him. Nobody would touch him because of the conviction. doesn't matter if he was innocent, guilty. doesn't matter about the uh, uh, details of the case. Truth doesn't matter. It's the stigma that he pleaded guilty to molestation. And nobody will touch him now. So it makes you wonder, you know, I mean, it, I've seen this. I've been in the court system a few times. I've had a go. I told you about the, the, the incident I had in a certain state. I think I told you guys about it where I was uh, arrested for a drunk driving and went to court. And the secretary was handling my case and they were trying to railroad me through it, found out about it and, and, and basically handled it. But I've seen that at work where they just want you convicted, and they don't care whether or not you were innocent or guilty. And you put a 15-year-old kid in that situation, and yeah, I'll plead, I guess I'll plead guilty. I don't want to go to jail, especially for this. What's going to happen to me in jail? <laughs> What's going to happen to me in the juvie, right? Nothing nice. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, it's a real problem that when you're, you have um, 
a justice system that is more concerned about conviction rates and, like you said, for-profit prisons and all this other stuff. I mean, this is a whole can of worms that you're you're looking at with that. But I, it just reminded me of that kid because he should he should be a first, second round draft pick. He should be getting ready to go to the minor leagues, and nobody would touch him because of something that happened uh, when he was 15. Well, you know, one of the scary thoughts that one of the scariest thoughts about the recent push to legalize slash decriminalize marijuana that I read. And by the way, this the, it was an opinion piece, and this, the, the author of this piece was for legalization, but the, the author made a, a point that I hadn't even thought of, which was, what happens when the prisons start sitting empty for these nonviolent possession, distribution, intent to distribute crimes? What new crime are they going to think up? What group are they going to think up to fill up these prisons? Because for-profit prisons hardly ever fall below 95% capacity. Hardly ever. I mean, it, it, they run at 98, 99 on average. You take nonviolent drug offenders out, you're talking out of like 2.2 million people, you're talking close to, I believe the number was like around 400,000. Do the math. They're going to have to fill those beds somehow. So does it become political dissidents? Does it become people who say things? Does it be, Do we go back to, a, a, we find a way to somehow put debtors, people in debt back in jail? There is an alternative. Prison. There's an alternative scenario here, and it requires a little bit of faith. <laughs> but the the alternative scenario is the business model fails, and private and for profit prisons go away. Yeah, that requires a lot of faith. <laughs> yeah, just sitting here but, like I don't have that much faith. It's not, but yeah, but it's not out of the realm. I mean, we've seen it happen a hundred times or a million times that a business isn't profitable anymore because they can't, they don't have a product that they can. I guess the the people in prison are the product now. They're not producing it, but they're making a profit off of it. So if there's not enough people for them to make a profit, they don't turn a profit. They close the fuck down. Prisons go the way of Toys R Us. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's possible. I, it's just possible. I'm just all I'm all I'm asking for is just um, Todd the optimist. To, yeah, a lot of you know, dude. I, I think a lot of times we get caught into our own psychological and mental crutches. You know, and, and we, maybe we don't see we see things through a cynical prism. Sometimes I've been guilty of this as much as anybody, probably more so than anybody. And I, you know, it's it's not it's it's no more realistic to look at it through that than to put on rose colored glasses and think that everything is great. The, the two things are the flip sides of the same coin. You're not seeing things sometimes as they are. And all I'm saying is, I'm not saying you're wrong, Rich, at all. You may be absolutely right. But there is another alternative here. There's another path, another case scenario that could... It's like Occam's razor. What's more likely? Are they going to put political dissidents in there? Or is, are, the, are these for-profit prisons just going to go out of business? Well, contraction, and then they'll just... Yeah, less prisons. They'll get it back up to capacity. They'll have to take a cut, and most likely, because a lot of these for-profit prisons are owned by larger corporations. This isn't the only thing they do. Right. And so they'll, they'll, they'll look for someplace else to make their profit margin, to boost it, and they'll say, it's just not as profitable as it used to be, right. which is all there is to it. It's like, it's like cigarette companies. Cigarette right. companies 50 years ago could write, you know, could write their own fucking check in life. Now it's right. like they have to invest in vaping technology because they see what's on the horizon, they're not going to be probably around very much longer in at least the way they well, were 50 years ago. They have I to mean, evolve. How did this start anyway? I mean, at some point we had, what, taxpayer-funded prisons, right? And, Still, then yeah. Everything, yeah. and then everything started going 
private. I mean, there had to have been a reason, a profit to be made there for them to even be interested in it. It was the but, it was the deregulation, and I, I'm 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 painting with a very broad brush. It was a lot of the deregulation in the '70s and the '80s. I don't know the very okay. specifics of it, because to be honest with you, it it's along the lines of how we ended up closing a lot of state-run mental hospitals, and right. we ended up with yeah. for for-profit, quote unquote. Uh, mental hospitals and treatment centers, right? Um, yeah, which, I, that makes sense to me. I mean, it seems like something that's come about in my lifetime. I just didn't know the, the actual facts. I think of it's it, but. the last 15, 20 years, isn't it? Oh, the prison population started exploding with the uh, 100 to 1 drug law, mm-hmm. the federal drug law, that you could have, if you had right. 100, 100 grams of cocaine, you were sentenced if you had one one gram of rock cocaine, you were sentenced to the same sentence as someone who's 100 grams of powder. So when that law went into effect, they really started filling the prisons up. Fill in a, I, have a, I have a gap of knowledge here. Fill me in. How do these prisons make money? Who pays them? Okay, well, the, okay, the corporation, first of all. Well, actually, I mean, isn't it ultimately taxpayer money? That's what I'm wondering. They have to. <laughs> well, they, they also, they, slavery is illegal in this country, except for if you're a prisoner. Right. And the way they get around calling you a slave is they pay you, like, I think you max out at, at, at for these for-profit prisons. It's something like 17, 20 cents an hour. Right. And there are numerous overseas businesses, stateside businesses, who use prison labor. Ah, uh, yeah. And so they, ha- they hire lobbyists because they have their cheap labor. Hey, let, you know, privatize the prisons. Let's, let's build a private prison in the middle of nowhere, upstate New York, and it'll revitalize your area because it'll create so many jobs and et cetera, et cetera. And these, if you've been to parts of upstate New York, it is barren. There is, nothing to, there is nothing to do up there. The manufacturing has left and gone and is not coming back. And the, these small communities jump on it and basically go, do whatever you want. Shawshank Redemption. Yes, Except for not a state-run prison, yeah. Right. And this is the thing. It's nothing new under the sun. It's just it's right. a different... It's, a, it's the same grift with a new fucking paint job. They're not all chained together breaking rocks, but... They right. still make the license plates? Same, same business model. Well, no. No, the shocking thing was it's not... License plates is the, is the, 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 you know, the cliche, but they make garments, automobile parts... Uh, Manufacturing of, of, of like, like, what do you call it? Uh, if, a, if an automobile company needs a specific machine built that isn't mass produced, they have these guys right. build them. And I mean, they do they, small they, runs for prototypes and testing stuff. And, and, and the, way they, the way they sell this is hey, look, these prisoners are getting a skill. They're going to they're gonna graduate, and you know, they, have, they now have a, a, right. a, a, a welding basically certificate. Yeah, the problem oh, is they're. So you're going to give them a job for it? Oh, no, yeah, exactly. not us, but yeah, somebody no. else will definitely hire them. <laughs> With those kind of skills? <laughs> right. Exactly. One guy said something that was very telling. He said, if you come in here and he goes, you know, and it's a very, he goes, I think education is a very good thing. Having said that, if you come into prison and you think that you're, that you're going to get your bachelor's and when you go out, somehow that's going to mean anything, he's like, you better get at least a master's before someone will even look your way. And it really depends on the crime you committed, period. He goes, because a master's in here is a bachelor's on the outside. And I was like, wow. So. Get my doctorate. (laughs) (laughs) Got nothing better to do, right? Well, got to go make license plates every day, I guess. (laughs) Got got a PhD in drug culture when I went into prison. (laughs) That's about it. You know, I mean. I can make a hell of a knife, goddammit. And that's the other thing. Give me that straw. 
That's the other thing they were talking about that was, I, I've, I've witnessed it with my own eyes. I've seen this happen with friends of mine and, and to, a, to a very smaller, not a severe extent myself. You go in and you learn how to be a better hustler because if you don't have a hustle, you are fucked. Because unless you've got someone to put 150 bucks, you know, every couple of weeks on your commissary, you are just a prime target for predators. And it starts as simple as this. Hey, man, I got an extra candy bar. You want it? Two weeks later, hey, uh, remember that candy bar I gave you? I'm going to need 10 of those back or else you're going to have to do this for me. And what are you going to say? No. Who are you going to go to? The guards? No. So, I mean, you have to, you have to learn to hustle. And as a consequence... You take someone who goes in for two ounces of weed, and they walk out with a PhD in, in, in crime. They right. learn to be a better criminal. And it pays more, and they can get work immediately when they walk out the door. Well, too, there was a, a guy that was on Adam Carolla's show today, a bank robber. Started, I think he was like 18 years old, started robbing banks. And he served like seven, eight years for this, and they started asking him questions about what it was like on the inside. And it was, he was asked, well, you know, what, what did you have to do in jail? And he's like, oh, I, you know, I had drugs. I had uh, PSP, you know, get some alcohol sometimes, like, you know, gamble, all this shit. And then like, where did, where did you get all this shit from? Like, who is smuggling it in? He's like, the guards. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I had my uh, second DUI back in the 90s, right? And I had to do a little county jail time. And uh, we actually had one of the guards would bring us cigarettes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. He just, he, he would be really careful about it, obviously, but he'd leave them in people's lockers. Can I go to my locker and come back with a card of cigarettes? Well, what, well, that was their hustle. So, but what was in it for them? Because you guys didn't have any money. He was, you know, he was actually just a cool dude. <laughs> he didn't get anything out of it. Well, it sucks. You sucks in here. Have some smokes. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I think we had. To, he had to, whoever had to pay him, pay him for him. You know, he wasn't going to buy the cigarettes, but yeah, he just brought them back, threw them in the locker. It's compassion. Well, yeah. <clears throat> well, there's also the fact that if you keep the prisoners somewhat as happy, I know happy is the wrong word, but yeah, as happy a, as they, they can yeah. be. Yeah, they're, they're a lot. E- time goes a lot easier as a guard. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's absolute true. Nobody fucked around on that guy's watch. Nobody, nobody wanted to piss him off. Nobody wanted to, to cross him. A, because he was cool, right? But B, the guy did stuff for you. You piss him off, he's going to stop. Mm-hmm. Well, too, and yeah, then you're the guy that fucked up cigarettes for everybody. Exactly. And then you're, <laughs> no, that's, and that's then exactly you're a marked right. man. That's exactly right. <laughs> then they're looking at you going, you ever saw what they did to Gaddafi? Yeah, yeah. This is you. <laughs> just to, to complete the scenario, this was after smoking had been banned in jails too. So not only was he bringing cigarettes, he was bringing contraband. Right. See, so I mean, it was. I, I personally appreciated the shit. I smoked at the time, and we had a whole system figured out where we would jump up on top of the toilet and we'd suck our cigarettes in and blow the smoke into the vent. I don't know how nobody they they <laughs> yep. smelled that shit. <laughs> There's no way they didn't know what we were doing. They just made us go through the the whole charade anyway, because just so they could say they didn't know anything. But yeah, I mean, right. it was just it was I yeah, it was really cool because, like you said, you know, it's it, it makes made his life easier. It made him, if not your friend, somebody you didn't want to make life difficult on. Well, yeah, one of the one of the children's homes I was in, the last one, um, one of the staff. I didn't know any. I didn't know anybody going in there. Nobody whatsoever. And one of the staff said, uh, 
hey, you want to help me take trash out? Because we each had, you know, assigned chores and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, did you have to touch his wiener? No, no. Uh, no, he, he didn't play that shit. Oh. He didn't even... He didn't even let guys who wanted to do that to each other do that. He was he was he, he was one of the ones that like mm, there ain't no uh, ain't no ass play on my watch. Um, but yeah, so I go down. And we got the big you know rolling trash cans and I got like four of them and I'm taking them out there and I throw them out there and it's on the dock and he sits down and he lights up a cigarette and he goes you want one and I'm like looking around like am I about am I getting set up? Yeah, no worries. He's like, do you want one or not? And I said, hell yeah. Sat down, had a cigarette with him, got up, went inside, didn't say a word, didn't say a word to anybody about it. A couple weeks later, after I get to know some people, they're like, hey, we noticed you're taking the trash out with, uh, I ain't going to say his name, I ain't going to put him on blast. I was like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, he smokes cools. You got to get used to those, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, you kind of do. <laughs> and it's, everybody knew. And, and, and except for very rare cases where it was just... You know, he people just not giving a fuck, which you're going to run into no matter what. He would walk in, and the bullshit would stop because everybody, like you said, Todd, everybody knew. Don't fuck it up, because if that's the one thing you had to look forward to. You know, you, every door you went through was locked. You didn't leave a unit for all day, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, the only time you got to yourself was in the shower, and at any moment that door could open. And there could be a staff member saying, get the fuck out. I mean, you, you, you shared a bathroom with seven other guys. There was no privacy. Yeah. yeah. You know, so. It, yeah, that, that cell I was talking about was a 10-man cell with a big steel toilet wide open in the room. Imagine taking a shit on that thing. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, you wait till three in the morning and you got three people beaten off under their under their blankets while you're trying to pinch a loaf over on Steel Dragon. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you know they're occupied. Yeah. Yeah, don't mind me cool. taking a shit. Just keep beating <laughs> off. Yeah, you, you don't know. I mean, you think about that. You, it's amazing what people will adjust to. Oh, yeah. That just that just entered my mind because it was like, I, I don't think I shit for probably the first 10 days I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> just simply because of that. What am I supposed to see? Yeah, I guess I, oh, fuck, I'm going to hold this. I can't hold it any longer. It's 3 o'clock. Is everybody asleep? He's jerking off. He isn't going to pay attention. He's beating off. Yeah. Okay. yeah, fuck it. <laughs> and you, all of a sudden, you adjust and you adapt to it. You know, it's like, that's just what you got to do. And everybody else is taking a dump. You never saw anybody else taking a dump either. It was like, that was another thing. You hardly ever saw anybody else taking it. You knew they yeah, shit. Like, there were yeah, nine other people in there. Yeah. There's nine of they're us in here. Some, we're eating food. It's going somewhere. Three meals a day. You know, yeah. And you know they're doing it, so everybody else is doing the same damn thing. Yeah, just when you're asleep. And just, off. <laughs> after <laughs> going 10 days not using it, I'd find it difficult to just like make that leap like do you just <laughs> you don't get have up a choice and start meandering around whistling and oh, uh, oh there's a there's a toilet look, in here Maybe, look, you know what up. i think i do have now, to take a shit now it was a direct line over there i do remember this it was a straight line it's like sometimes your body and physiology just takes <laughs> takes your takes your uh, pride and dignity away from you and you just got to squat <sighs> Well, one you of the, stand up and snap your fingers like that's what I forgot. <laughs> I need to take a shit. <laughs> no, I do every day. <laughs> like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. No. Okay, my, my, my my buddy my buddy did time in Wayne County and he was uh he said they had put a sheet up and he was like that was it was like respect the sheet. He was like it was basically Thunderdome Thunderdome in there for the most part. Yeah, but when it came to the sheet. 
You yeah. respected it. You didn't just open it. You said, anybody been there? Nothing? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was amazing how he's like, you had a bunch of criminals and, and people who just made a bad mistake and they were all stuffed in this fucking, like you said, I think it was like, a, it might have been 10, 12 man cell, something like that. And he's like, and people would fight over the, the dumbest shit, but that was the one thing we all, nope, you respect the sheet. <laughs> yeah. I never saw, you know, while I was in there, I never saw any of the, again, it was a, not exactly, you know, Jackson, but uh, I never saw really any problems in there. I saw a couple of people get pissed off and, and, you know, act like they wanted the fight, but I never saw anything like that. It was, you know, kind of one of those things I was really surprised by because people just wanted to do their time. They just wanted to get through it and they wanted to get along with people. They didn't want to be locked in a fucking box with people they hated. They didn't want to be locked in a box of people they were going to war with constantly every waking moment. There was a lot of real cooperation in there, like you said, like with the sheet, stuff like that. It was really surprising. Yeah, you know, I was I was young and I had these sort of I guess stereotypical images in my head of what I thought it was going to be, but it was none of that. Just <laughs> all right, we're all here, we all hate it. Let's try to get along. <laughs> you're, in there, you're in there your first night, you got your toothbrush broken in half, just getting a point on it, getting a point on it. You're yeah. like, I'm I was, getting a shake ready. <laughs> I was actually real friendly. When I when I walked in there, I was just like really friendly. I was like, okay, I am not going to piss anybody off. I am going to I'm going to do my best not to be a dickhead. And the, the, the strategy was just be friendly, be respectful, respectful, exactly, and not be a dick and not well, isolate yourself off and make yourself a target. Just be a dude. Yeah, one of the best, and pieces, that of, best pieces of advice I ever got in, in, in one of the youth homes I was in was you have, to, you have two ears, you got one mouth. Listen way more than you talk. Yeah, that's exactly and, right. And, and don't go around selling wolf tickets because motherfuckers will call you out on it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to find that there's and I, there was dudes in there who I had to go toe to toe with a few times and they brought the bitch out in me. But I, I you had to you had to fight, period. If well, you yeah. don't, yeah. You're, you're easy prey. And yeah. the next time it's just going to get worse and worse. And, I, you know, it's it's it, it's the sad part of the reality is, is that's the reality of prison in the U.S. to the point where we we have we, we have comedians and late night talk show hosts make jokes about prison rape. And we all laugh and ha, 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 ha. And if you made the same joke about a woman getting raped, oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. sick fuck. What's wrong with you? How yeah. could you do that? But you go, if you look at other nations' prison systems, they're not focused on housing and warehousing. They're focused on, we're going to have to reintroduce these people to society. Let's yeah. get them ready for that. Resocialize them in the, in the proper way. Exactly. One of the one of the biggest shocks of going to rehab was how much socialization there was, and I'm sitting there going, "Why are we doing all this and this?" And they're like, "Makes perfect sense." <laughs> they're like, "Do you yeah. understand? Half these people have spent before they came here, they were basically scraping bottom. So most of them probably sitting in fucking houses or rooms by themselves, doing whatever drug they're doing. Well, not a lot of with anybody." A lot of uh, substance abuse stems from, um, you know, not necessarily uh, not talking about the people who have financially bottomed out, but a lot of that stems from not being able to socialize comfortably unless you're lubricated. You know? Oh, definitely. And learning how to do that where you're, you're, you have confidence enough in yourself that you can actually socialize with somebody without being high or without being drunk. I mean, that's priceless. Yeah, that, one of my favorite uh, bits from Doug Stanhope is, his friends that go, Doug, man, you got a drinking problem. 
but you're funny as fuck when you're drunk. So please don't get sober. I got tickets to the late show. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. And that's you know that's that's something else I I, I was wanting to bring up. And this is just a, an a, an overall idea I've had because I've I've been in contact with some family members I hadn't really been in contact with recently, up until recently I should say, and. My family excels at, wow, you fucked up. Look at you. Boy, you fucked that up. And I'm like, yeah, that's wonderful. By the way, if you knew that this was going to happen, why the fuck didn't you say something in the first place? All this information, you're great at telling me when I fuck up, but you never fucking, you never, you never paint a roadmap to the way to succeed. Right. And it's like, is it, it, you know, for the longest time, I just thought, oh, that's my family. That's just how they are. That's seems like that's society like we we love the brutal part of brutal honesty more than the honesty part it's the brutality of brutal honesty that we're in, in love with and that's that goes back to what i was saying before about the split in humanity we love absolutely love terrorizing people there's a part of us this this primal lizard man part that absolutely loves it it's just it, it's it's such a it's such a counterproductive way to go about things, and I mean you know if if, you, if, you, if any of you guys have ever had to go to doctors, once you start seeing a, a wide variety of doctors, you realize that bedside manner is not something most of these people have. Like their attitude is, like you know you walk in and they're like, well, you got cancer, but you smoked all your life. What did you think was going to happen? Oh, thanks. Is that the pep talk? Can I go to chemo now? Really? Well, how about this? You already, look, what's done is done. We need to focus on what we need to do to get you better. Right. Well, who's, what, 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 ask yourself this question. How, which one are you going to react better to? I think most people don't react well to being told how fucking stupid they are when they're sitting in a pile of their own shit and they're like, yeah, I'm aware of it. I'm in it. Thank you. Oh. It reminds it reminds me of the. Uh, That's how you get President Trump. Well, we could we could expand. This is a really interesting can you've opened here, Rich, because we could expand this, I guess, uh, to a really uh, macro scale if you want to. And it goes back to what I, I think the example I used a month ago or so ago was uh, 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 when we sit here and complain about everything and bitch about everything, and we do. <laughs> We're good at that. But <laughs> at some point, it becomes walking into the cancer ward, pointing out you got cancer. You know, saying to the kid in the bed, getting his chemo, hey, look at you, you're fucked up, you've got cancer. Well, I'm going to leave now. Cancer you, you boy. Know, yeah, we have to, at some point, I mean, the, the, it, you're absolutely right about what you're saying, but expand it out now. You know, that turns into, that's something that I think is a, a bigger theme that uh, goes beyond just the, you know, individual interaction and families and stuff like that. I think if we applied that to the culture, and to society, and, and we'll probably spend seven hours talking about it, and I'm really not up for that tonight, thanks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that is a problem, and it's not right. It's, you're absolutely right. I mean, how do people react? I mean, how are you going to get people to react in a, in, a, in a better way, in a more positive and more productive way, by including them in the process and saying, okay, we're here. It doesn't really matter how we got here. How the fuck do we move forward? How do we make this better? Let's do that on a national scale, on a, on a, on a, on a social societal scale. And nobody does that. We don't. Traditionally, since I've been doing this podcast, anyway, and, and my own podcast, I have not done that. It happens, but it's, it's, it's the exception rather than the rule. I absolutely agree right. with you. And that's something that... That's something that's... It's, 
for me, it's very hard unless I'm sitting here staring at you in a one-on-one exchange to tailor something to you to the where to where you're going to be able to hear it. Right. And the most I can ask, and the most I hope for anyone that listens to to this podcast, is to get them to think and look at something. Get up, walk across the room, sit down, and look at the exact same object from a new fucking angle. Right. And go, okay, oh, oh, there's there's more than one side to this thing. I got, I got it now, you know, and when, you know, when it happens in a one-on-one, you know, exchange, it's great. But the nature of podcasting is we don't know if anyone's listening. I mean, we, we know we get the numbers, but you know, we don't know if anyone's listening and going, oh, it's just a good way to kill three hours while I'm this waiting is, for lunch. Dude, or, this is radio. This is radio 101, man. And you have to pretend you have to create that character in your head of somebody you think is listening or might be listening pretend create the little straw man the imaginary friend in your head that you're talking to and that that way you can you can actually address people on an individual way hi jennifer conley you need to call aubrey plaza and bring her on over <laughs> what's my girlfriend's name hey you have Anna kendrick my, get some <laughs> horny goat weed Listen, man, she called me this week, Aaron. You need to leave her alone. (laughs) It's pissing her off, all the emails and texts and shit. I don't know how you got her number. That's some subversive shit you need to stop. (laughs) I tell you, if you're an Aubrey Aubrey Plaza fan, Rich, you should be watching Legion. I I, I came in the tail end, and when I saw her, I was like, was that Aubrey Plaza? And you were like, yep. I was like, all right, I'm going to have to watch this show. <laughs> it's how pathetic I am. I will watch a horrible fucking show. I mean, I'm not saying it's a horrible show, but I will watch a horrible oh. movie or show just to see a certain actor sometimes. It's actually a really good show, and she's the reason for the nudity warnings on it. What really? show is this? Legion. Legion. On FX. Sweet. Yeah. Wait, about- FX has nudity now? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, so but every once in a while. It's not, it's not graphic. Movie. Ain't no titty, Full no titty, no titty. Side boob. I don't need no side boob. I got a big fat cat. I thought I saw her nipple on the last episode. <laughs> well, you know what? It, thought you saw you know it. it, dude. You're like early forties. You don't know what a nipple looks like by now. <laughs> <laughs> you did or you one. didn't see a nipple. <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> uh, well, you know, maybe that's because we're just all incels. Well, except. Well, well, two of us are incels. Todd and, and Chris, you're in relationships. So until you say I do, you won't be an incel. <laughs> Dude, I, I've been with my girlfriend now for 15 years. It's going to be 15 years. Holy fuck, next month. Wow. So do you have like an open line of credit at the kink shop? <laughs> I, I'm good to go. I don't know. I, I, things are fine. <laughs> I don't know what y'all are talking about. Maybe you just chose poorly. No. <laughs> See, that's uh, what I'm talking about. That's what we were just talking about. See, I, I'm condemning, I'm criticizing rather than offering solutions. <laughs> well, I can, I, I, I can say, because I knew that, uh, well, it, between Aaron and I talking, that, that you know, the, about Jordan Peterson and then somehow this connection to the quote-unquote incel community, which is mind-blowing to me that a off-the-cuff insult based on a Judd Apatow movie has now become a movement. And it's filled with crazy fucks. I went on 4chan and 8chan and went into their boards and was like, like the first post was this guy talking about (coughs) how the world will know our pain when we commit acts to show our pain. And it's going to manifest itself with attacks 
and 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 mass shootings and all this, and I'm just going, you've got to be shitty. Over lack of pussy, bro, come over to my house. I'll take you to Seven and Shiawassee. I'll get you a blowjob. Once you get that... Once you get that evil out of you, you'll realize, I've been wasting my fucking time on this. You can't jerk off. Come on. There's so much porn. Take care of shit yourself. You guys not aware of hookers? But I have to say, the media is definitely blowing it up out of proportion, in my opinion. It's definitely at hysterical, you know, oh, my God, there's, you know, like the one lady who tweeted out, you know, I can't remember, some third wave feminist, you know, oh, you tech companies, you have incels working for you. What are you going to do? And it's like the same thing we do with the rest of our employees. Give them a check every two weeks and tell them don't have too much fun on the weekend. That's what the fuck we're going to do. Uh, and it, it, But then I dip my toe in the water and I'm like, oh, there's, it's a very, very small group. But these motherfuckers are crazy. Like sick in the head. Don't need to be in society. If this is, if this is just bubbling under the surface... Like, I was reading, I'm not joking, serial killer levels of craziness. If this isn't just a venting, a way for these people to vent. And I'm just like, over, well, over sex? <laughs> I mean, not only is this a small group, how many of those people do you think were either trolling or just yeah, exactly. completely posturing? Yeah. You know, just, just spouting shit to look like a tough guy. Taking to the avatars. Something. Taking the avatars out for a walk. Right. I, well, that's that's. There's always you have to factor that in. It's like this uh, Kelly Marie Tran thing. The, the 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 actress who played Rose in the in the last Star Wars movie. Right. She had the, the one who shut down her Twitter and Instagram accounts because people were abusing her. Yeah, because people said she sucked and her acting sucked and her role sucked and the movie sucked. And you know, I hear all this and I'm like, Is this your first day on the internet? <laughs> Like, I, I can take this back to the 90s in the old, you know, forums, musicians' forums. I, kill Yourself was like the equivalent of saying hi to somebody. It was no big, you know, you suck, you're an asshole, fuck your mother, everyone, you know, all everything. And it's like no one felt the need to, like, I'm leaving. And if they did, we were like, good, you're a pussy anyways. We don't want you here anyways. Didn't kill Yourself a standard YouTube <laughs> comment? Uh, yeah. Much. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it, there's always people that are just there just to fucking troll. It's, it's, it's yeah. constant. I, I see it every day. Just people just to stir the pot because they know they well, don't have to lick the spoon. It could just be a valid opinion. I mean, I, I have no problem with her role and her portrayal of that character in the movie, but I don't think that she was a great actor. I don't think it was a great part. They, the problem is, is that, People who are critical of her in general are being lumped in with the the people who are just critical of her insertion as a character into the universe for what they see as some sort of uh, you know uh, political correctness of the the Star Wars universe. Like George Lucas said one day, "I'm going to make a space adventure, and it's going to be about a white girl and two white guys," and that and was his carpet. vision. <laughs> and a gay robot and his asexual friend <laughs> but you know but honestly that's 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 my issue with this kind of crap is because it's turned now it's turned into like with the new han solo movie i, I fell asleep during it so i i, I the, ha- the half <laughs> i saw the half i saw i was like eh, all right but i mean it wasn't anything great of the new it was movies, fun it, of the new movies rogue one still by far my favorite um 
But I notice a lot of people, you know, it only did a hundred and like twelve million over a four day weekend. Right. It's considered a flop Whatever. as far as I enjoy Disney. Out of it. I, but here's the thing: the people that you have these hardcore right wing. That's because people are tired of Disney shoving, you know, diversity up our butts and down our throats and all this stuff, and they're celebrating. And then you got the hardcore SJWs going. They're celebrating because that's what you get for making Disney, yeah. for making a movie about a white man. No one wants to see that. Oh, God. And it's like, you just look and you just go like, World's worst game show. You can't win. <laughs> I mean, you literally like meet the, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You people are exactly the same. You are all miserable. And here's the thing: Did you enjoy the movie or not? I mean, it's 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 it isn't that right. ultimately the well, point? Like, yeah, the, the not movie when you're looking. Poorly. It's not the point when you're looking at, at it through an agenda prism, though. Yeah. True. It, the movie did poorly because it was unnecessary, right? No, I don't think that there, it was so much that people were against the idea of this movie being made. It's just nobody was clamoring for this story to be told. And I mean, I mean if it means that Disney's going to make less movies, uh, filling in all the little gaps of the original Star Wars characters, I'm fine with that. I just, like I said, I don't mind the movie. There's no point to it. The the kind of uh, uh, well, like I said, filling in the holes of the 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 Han Solo story is completely unnecessary. There was none of that was charming to me. The movie was charming on its own. It was a fun adventure with the, some great characters in it, and that's it. If you just take it on a, on face value, it's it holds up as well as any other of the Star Wars movies or any of the action movies that we have out now. I, I just, it, I think it's funny that the trend that we're seeing of filmmakers, directors, producers, and writers specifically going on social media and attacking the fan base has continued with this movie. And I'm like, okay, even if you are right and there's homophobic, sexist, racist Star Wars fans, what is the point of giving them the spotlight? What is the point of, of, oh, yeah. Of, of of calling them out and saying we don't want your 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 filthy money as is, and it's right. like <laughs> many of the the cast the, her cast members from uh, the Last Jedi, including Mark Hamill, had to come out with statements of support for Kelly Marie Tran. And I just go back to what's so special about her? What makes her above getting? talk shit to by the internet. I, right. And, and you know what it is. More people talk shit about Luke on Twitter, and he didn't shut down his Twitter. He doubled down on it. Exactly. And we know what it is. It's the fact that it's that it's that it's that sexism and racism from the left. Oh, this is a uh, Asian woman. Oh, sure. She shouldn't have to put up with this. If I was her, I'd go, first of all, fuck you. I... Do you think this bothers me? I'm an actress. You know how often I get denied a role I want or whatever? I mean, it's it'd be like a baseball player getting up and, and crying because he strikes out seven out of uh, ten times. Right. That, that's, that's, that's part of the well, game. Well, also, I mean, she, there's nothing wrong with her leaving social media, right? Her life's not going to fall apart. This isn't like yeah. she can't walk out of her front door without somebody throwing rotten tomatoes at her. <laughs> just do it at Rotten Tomatoes. She's just not participating 
in social media. Many people do. And Kiss my ass they don't. and suck my dick. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's not like she's been ostracized in some way. She's got to go off and live in a fucking cave now. Yeah, but unfortunately, and this is this is something we, you know, this is the normal for the the younger generation. It is an everyday part of their lives, and that is, does it suck? Yeah, it sucks. But I've had to walk away from exchanges online, and you know how I know it's time to walk away when I'm not sitting in front of a computer and I'm pissed off still about an exchange that happened online. Yes. I'm like, why am I letting this bother me so much? Like, literally, I get fucked over every day in life, and I'm not as pissed off about that as I, as I am about someone, you know, you fat fuck. Oh, and first of all, yeah, okay. Second of all, why does that, why, you know, that's not healthy. So her taking a break, once again, it's painted as this, it's this horrible thing that she had to do. Maybe, maybe it's better. I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't imagine being so thin-skinned that having a bunch of people tell me that you sucked in a movie and your character was 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 pointless make me go. I have to. I'd say I have to. I have to bow out. I'm out. I can't. I can't take this anymore. I mean, to me, it's the same when I hear Roseanne. I'm going to quit Twitter. How long did that last? Not long enough. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. I mean. Obviously, there's an issue there, and I, you know, right? It, it it is it's insulting though that she has to be protected because she's a woman and she's Asian. Exactly. Right. Where apparently Mark Hamill can just stick up for himself because he's got all the power and he's a white male. He's a straight white male. Oh, big deal. Oh, you, your life's so rough, and that's the attitude. And it's like eh, if you want to be. If you approach everything like that, Todd, what, if, what did you say about the rise of Trump? It made perfect sense after the rise of Obama, because yeah. in nature, there's there, you know, balance. for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's gonna, yeah, nature's gonna find balance, be it between, um, you know, in a cooperative environment or via two extremes. There's exactly. always going to be an equal and opposite reaction. And you know, it's it, the, the same reason I, you know, when I talk to my brother. You know, if you t- you know, he's very pro-science, anti-religion as far as creationism and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, I'm on the same page as you, but I mean, it really bothers him. He's like, it bothers me that these people think the world's only six thousand years old because they added up everybody's age in the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty stupid. I agree with you. They <laughs> came to it. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's exactly okay. how. Yeah. Yeah. You can't argue with math. <laughs> Actually, perhaps no, you can. <laughs> Noah, nine hundred years old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Noah yeah. was there for one sixth of the entire world's history. <laughs> yeah. oh, Jesus but you well, know, Noah, he's drinking. <laughs> well, Noah was a drunk, so maybe the wine back in the day <laughs> preserved the organs instead of pickling them. Who knows? Yeah, but yeah, didn't he out survive everyone else? So it's probably self-reported number. I mean, it's dubious. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, who's gonna fucking fact check him, right? It's not like the person who him on. What it was, he was telling his biographer. He's like, I've been on this boat for forty days and forty nights. It feels like nine hundred years, and he's like, nine hundred years old. Okay. Where's the birth certificate? Lost in the flood. Next. Kind of like Will Chamberlain self-reporting he fucked thirty thousand women or whatever. He wouldn't have time right. to fucking, yeah, he wouldn't have time to get out of bed. 
I, I like someone broke it down that if, even if he, he only lasted five minutes, it's like so he's been having sex since four years before he was conceived. Like there's just no possible way. <laughs> I, no, I have never actually, Aaron. You make a great point. But somewhere at the same heard, time, I've never heard anybody actually point that out. That yeah, it was a self-reported age because everybody else was dead. He could say whatever the hell he <laughs> <Yeah>. wanted. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably seventy-two. <laughs> Yeah, well, back then they lived to the ripe old age of, you know. That's what I mean. Yeah, everybody else died at 26, and he lived to be 60. Exactly. So everybody's dead. Oh, I've been around 900 years. Poop, I Yeah. Well, he's always been here for me, he, so maybe. He lived long enough to grow a full beard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I, I, just uh, to, to wrap up real quick with the whole. Uh, social media thing. I know it's been a couple months since the first time you came on, Todd. Or well, it might actually be like we might. Are we into like three, four month territory now? Uh, March. Isn't that, isn't that long? Okay. Getting there. Um, yeah, two and a half. Because I know that we have one member of our podcast who seems to have come around to your way of thinking. Oh, you all will eventually. <laughs> about social media and i was just wondering if you still feel the same on as far as that goes yeah oh god yeah you know <laughs> okay. you know what i figured out i it's, it's actually it wasn't a conscious decision this time i've hardly I, i've been on facebook a little bit today uh but the last month or so it sort of has just gone away for the most part and my twitter account for the podcast has been deactivated it's not deactivated but i've logged off of it you know what i did I uh, created a, another um, Twitter account for this baseball podcast that I was thinking about doing. And so I populated it with just baseball people. Mm. Just baseball. That's it. Nothing else. Just mm-hmm. fucking baseball. And it's awesome. I can go in and I can talk baseball. I can chat with people. I met a couple of people. Both. <laughs> I looked at you go back and you look at their feed and you can tell if they're liberal or conservative, right? And it never comes up. See, how never, I initially thought I was like, and it, and it always devolves into Trump versus Hillary immediately. It, no, no, not on not when it comes to baseball. I have seen little bits and pieces of it, and I get rid of those people occasionally if they throw, you know, some political comment into a base like this this baseball player kid that I was talking about. Uh, I'll get rid of those people, but it's been great, and I can just go on there and I can talk about baseball. It's I've what I've found, at least in the last couple of months since you asked, is that uh, commonality beyond politics and religion and all this other stuff, it actually works. That if you have a common interest or a common goal or just a common frame of conversation that doesn't have anything to do with calling the other person a stupid idiot and telling them that they need to think or believe or behave a certain way, it's really fucking easy to get along with people. <laughs> it's amazing how that works, huh? Yeah, yeah, it really is. So that's that's kind of, I'm not, I don't spend a lot of time on there. Um, the baseball podcast is kind of, yeah. I don't know what's going on with that, but I enjoy going on there during Tigers games, and I'll sit there and I'll go, you know, banter back and forth with people about the Tigers, and it's great. And I've got—I made the mistake earlier. You, you remember you were saying, you said a couple of minutes ago, Rich, that you know it's time to disengage when you're still pissed off 15 minutes after you see something. Yeah, I ran into that. Uh, it had to do with this Heimlich guy and the the baseball player kid that uh, got convicted of the molestation, and I. Clicked on a, a thread put up by one of the national writers, Joel Sherman, maybe. I, I don't remember who, but 
Anyway, I started reading through because I wanted to see what people were saying about it, and it immediately devolved into the politics thing. And it was one of those things that I'm sitting here uh, just, oh, I was pissed off. And it happened again with uh, a Red Sox fan, because the Tigers playing the Red Sox this week, jumped in a discussion about Comerica Park and, and the Tigers and how they, the attendance has been. And this guy was just going off being a complete dickhead. His whole purpose is like Randy Marsh. You know, you've seen the South Park episode where Randy's the troll on the Internet. That was this fucking guy. That was all he was there to do. And it was so, it, he stood out like a sore thumb. And it was one of those things, just like, oh, God, I want to just jump through. But it, it, it dawned on me that that's what's been going on. Like, every fucking where you go that has anything to do with politics or sociology or belief, that's what happens. You've got a bunch of people that are, and I've been saying this the whole time, just a bunch of people jumping in, engaging in virtual warfare, showing how big of a fucking cunt you can be. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's no accountability. And, and nobody can do anything about it. And I, strictly just from an observational point of view, back when I was on musician forums in the ni- late 90s, early 2000s, you had to troll softly, and you had to, there, it was an art to it. We had one guy who created a female uh, uh, username, went so far as to find pictures of, 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 of a like, you know, 18, 20-year-old girl playing guitar, and he didn't burst in like, hey, I'm a chick, and I'm here to play guitar. Someone help me. Worked his way in. And talked to one of the guys into sending them nudes and then flashed them all over the, inter- the, the, the forum we were on. And I was like, that's such a dick move, but that that's is good. artful trolling. That's good. Now, <laughs> now people just come in and go, fuck Trump. Yeah, yeah. That's not trolling. Well, there's another aspect of this that I wanted to get to as well, because this is uh, in, the, in, the, in the time that we've had off that we haven't done, or I haven't done a podcast. I haven't done one of my own since the end of March, and I haven't done one with you guys in almost a month now, as amazing as that feels. As Facebook has sort of gone away, I found other things to kind of throw myself into. You know, the photography stuff has started up again. I'm, I'm starting, I went and bought a bike. Uh, I'm starting to plot like this bike tour, maybe around like bike paths around Michigan doing photography for this magazine kind of thing. Point being, the less time you spend on the internet, specifically on social media, the more organic you become. The more human you become again. You, you learn how to interact with people and you learn to make people who are in front of you, actual human beings, important. And that's the one thing that I think if I were to be a little more introspective than I want to be, <laughs> okay, that was lost, I think, over the course of a decade that I spent immersed in engaging in virtual ideological warfare with whoever I chose to. It dehumanizes people. Yeah. There is no give and take. It's all, I'm going to beat this person over the head yes. with my verbal brilliance. It's, well, it's about being right, and that's why I had to step it's away. No, it's not about being right. It's about appearing right and about winning. There's a difference. There's a distinction. There's a distinction. That's more what what I was getting at. It's about winning. That's experience I had. It's exactly what it is. Someone got in Soffit to to direct message me to to just want to make all the points that they wanted to make. And the conversation, if you you look at it, for every one response I had, they had like three. Like they had everything chambered like they, they wanted to say to me. They and, did. That's exactly what and the they thing did. Too, it, it wasn't malicious. It wasn't vitriolic. 
And then just at the end, it just left me with this feeling of like, oh, because it's like I've known this person for a while and I respect him. And it was just like, oh, you too? Like, it's just about winning? Like, God yeah. damn it. It was just kind of like, after that experience, I was like, what's the fucking point of this dumb shit? It like, dehumanizes. It does. It dehumanizes. Like, us. I killed my it, Twitter account and I'm like a radio silence on my Facebook till I can figure out how to operate all the podcast shit without yeah. pages and then whatever, man. I'm going to go back to talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. But that's like, it. It's a dehumanizing effect. And it turns people into, you know, I was talking about this, this propaganda book that I had gotten a couple, of, uh, a couple of months ago. I haven't really started to read it. I got sucked into some other things. Dostoevsky will do that to you. Uh, but uh, it's basically turned people. There are about 15 different directions I can go with this. We could talk about Jordan Peterson and what I was talking about before the show is how the ideological religions, how, how ideology is takes over people and their religion, and they have to go out and proselytize to people, to everybody. They have to preach their message. They have to preach the word of their ideological God, okay? Or it turns us into propaganda machines where we, like you said, everything is chambered. All of these talking points are, are there, they're cocked, they're loaded, and they're ready to be spewed into any random thread that you can find that even makes the remotest amount of sense. You're not having a, an, an interaction. You're not having discourse with anyone. You're posting propaganda points that you read somewhere else or that you crafted in your head a week ago and you're looking for the perfect, or you're putting it in multiple places. That's, that's thing, what you're dealing with. That's what struck me about the exchange is, like it's exactly what it was. Is, is yeah. maybe maybe one of the, the the three responses had something to do with something that I had just that I, that I had said. Yeah, you know, I know yeah. I know it's not all about me, but I mean, if we're having a conversation, like, and I'm <laughs> saying something back, like, you should perhaps maybe like respond. And it was just like they were just sitting there waiting, like, all right, cool, yeah. you said that, but I wanted to say this, so I'm going to say this. <laughs> There, you, we've all had conversations with people who do not listen to what we say; they're just waiting to talk. Right. That's what it is. Yep. It's waiting to verbally, uh, I don't know if attack's the right word, but they, they, there's, no, there's no discourse here. And there's only one possible outcome here. If you're having that sort of mass interaction, the only outcome is conflict. Yeah. I, That's it. And it just made me really just take stock of what do I really use this for? Keep in touch with people. Cool. Well, I can do that with just the instant messenger. Deuces. It's a beautiful thing, and you, you're doing it on an individual level, too, when you're talking with someone outside of our group chat. But, I mean, still, it is. It's four people. We know each other well, and, you know, we're, we're directing it. We have a, a laser, a laser, point, a laser uh, what the fuck is it that they put on the guns? Uh, laser sight. Laser, you know, we're targeting one or two people, not putting out a mass social media dispatch for the entire world to see. And that's interaction. Well, one of the one of the interesting uh, comments I read to one of the, the Jordan Peterson the, the the lecture he gave about you know in, installing neuropathways and inhibitors and etc. was someone brought up. They said, "Have you ever seen or been involved in a social media flame war, especially when it gets down to two people?" And Facebook's you know. Facebook and Twitter, because you can retweet and like, it's like whoever gets the most likes or the most retweets yeah, yeah. is somehow more, no matter how stupid their point is, they're more validated. Exactly. And it's just, you know, it's, it's like if you, if you go into, I don't know why, Todd, I think it was you that said the flat earthers are just nothing but like a group of people who agreed to troll people. 
I hope that's the case. But for some reason in the Joe Rogan page on Facebook, it's just these people never shut up. I don't think that was me because I firmly do not believe that. I think they're <laughs> I think they actually believe that shit. The, the, the earth is and, flat. Yeah, and they're the they're the epitome of willful ignorance. And so. you know, once it's like they give out, you know, the, the bat signal, the bat shit crazy signal. <laughs> the bat, yeah, and the bat, bat shit, shit signal. signal. <laughs> <laughs> and and I like that. <laughs> once someone starts a, a new thread on, on this Joe Rogan page, all the flat earthers come and like and love his comment. And then it's like, well, look at all the people that are supporting me. How many people like your comment? And it's yeah. like, that is, really? That's, that's, that's how we decide what's right now? It's how validation. Like comment on social media? You were commenting oh, on yeah. the, do- the dopamine hit uh, earlier. And, you know, when you, <coughs> I, I forget the context, but you were, you were talking about basically your brain creates dopamine. Uh, and that's exactly what that is. When you, you've got 10 people that, you know, like something you've posted, you feel good, you feel validated, you feel important, regardless of whether you posted something about how the earth is flat or not. It doesn't matter that you were right. It matters that you were validated and that somebody else thinks or you appear to other people to be right. That's, that's the problem. And this, this, isn't, this isn't social media's fault, okay? I, again, I'm going to come back to this again. This is our fault. This, this is us as a species, and it, it comes into the tribalism a little bit. It comes into power. It comes in. It, it, I, I came up with this idea, and if any of you, you guys are musicians, do any of you know uh, Neil Young personally? Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Well, yeah, he's on speed dial. On speed dial. Yeah, yeah okay. that's cool. Now, if you don't, I would appreciate it if you'd use your well-established uh, network, because I know you guys have it, that if you can get a hold of him, Neil Young, and ask him to recut Needle and the Damage Done, but sort of tweak the lyrics a little bit to Ego and the Damage Done, I think he could send that to either Facebook or Twitter, and they have a theme song, and that's a billion dollars for Neil Young. He could, <laughs> he could donate that to, I don't know, you could pick a charity. You know, the Roseanne Barr Destitute Fund or something. Think I of don't how much know. he could expand Lionel Trains if he wrote that song. But the ego and the damage done, man. I, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was in my journal uh, just sort of doing some stream of consciousness and shit. And that's exactly what it is. And it's coming. It, it, you asked me about social media. I, I, I hope you expected me to get on a soapbox because I did. But <clears throat> that's, that, that is the legacy here. And it's doing an, an incredible amount of damage uh, because people don't know how to use it. People don't know, they do, they're not self-aware enough to realize what the technology and what the platform is not only doing to them as human beings and how they're treating people and the friendships and the interactions and the relationships they have. They do not see, they refuse to see the damage that's being done on a larger macro scale. And it is astounding, the damage that's being done. It has to be... And you can't legislate it. You know, you can't just go shut Facebook down. There has to be a change. And that is going to have to come from an increasing uh, uh, amount of self-awareness. I don't know how to do it. I mean, I I don't know how to do that. Yeah, I don't. Because I I, I have, you know, I feel like I've gotten at least a glimmer of it, a glimpse of it. I'm seeing other people who are coming, you know, realizing and seeing that, like like you said earlier this week, Chris. Uh, There are other people that are, Pretty much, yeah. You know, that are that are getting there, but the mass majority of people are drunk. They're they're just so intoxicated with the dopamine and the tribalism and and appearing like they're brilliant when they just fucking googled something or looked at a blurb on Wikipedia and then went to 
Facebook to sound like Aristotle or Cicero. You know what I mean? And that's doing an incredible amount of damage. Not having a conversation, waiting to talk, waiting to post, waiting and not having any kind of interaction, not having any sort of dialogue and discourse with the person. How do you find middle ground then? How do you find compromise? And if people are so addicted to this, and this is their mechanism now for socialization, and they take this model and they put it in the real world, what's going to happen? It's happening. Look all around you, man. Look at the far left Antifa. Look at look at the Trump bots. It's happening. Facebook the matrix that is Facebook is becoming reality. You have to see that. Right. It is. Well, look at how uh, look at how millennials look at phone conversations now. Like, something better be going on majorly that you have to call me directly and, and on your time, you decide that I have to talk to you right then and there. That's one of my favorite. You know, it's, a, it's an intrusion on their lives. My favorite is Ethan Sorry get to Bits. The po- what, are you on it's, fire? It's not just millennials. I, I do that. No, but <laughs> what, what's, the, <laughs> yeah, next, same what's here. the next step? It's going to be rude to talk to somebody face-to-face. Oh, he wants to, like, look me in the eye and everything. Can't he just text me this shit? the fuck your eyeballs they're assaulting me stop it <laughs> oh, no. well, well, mandy and i were were commenting the other day about like you know remember when we're, we're probably the, from the last generation that did this when we were little you go over to somebody's house and just knock on the door if you oh, wanted Jesus. to talk to them now that's considered rude god forbid what, you just came over without yeah. calling just knocked what the fuck man are you a barbarian yeah, you look like he didn't get shot through the door, oh, Detroit style. I, yeah. I actually, I, I actually have a friend. Uh, she got a new phone, and I was like, "Oh, did you get is the same number?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah. Oh, but uh, you know, don't call me quite yet. I haven't set up my voicemail." And I'm like, "I'm the only person you had to say that to, right?" And she's like, "Yeah, pretty much." She's like, you, you, "You're the oldest person I know who I'm not related to." And I'm like. <laughs> Because no one else, who the fuck calls? Nobody. Like, seriously, I, I absolutely get it. And I am, I am the absolute opposite opinion of uh, our, the younger generation. I think it's rude when you just fucking text me. Oh, it's the best. Just call me. I, why, do, why do I have to, with my thumbs, type out a five-minute conversation <laughs> that you're going to drag out over two hours because you were too busy, I don't know, doing what the fuck ever to give me an answer. So I got to wait three hours for you to text me back. Conversation on your terms. That's that's, the appeal of it. Right. That's why, yeah, text message and email, it allows you to slot things into how important they are to you, right? I mean, if you're trying to get some ass and somebody texts you, you're hitting that shit back right away. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, if you're... Your aunt's, like, texting you some shit, you're like, I'll answer her later. Yeah, exactly. You have all of your interactions completely on your terms. I know. It's a millennial. It's a millennial trait. I know I have, and I embrace. Is I, I get where they're coming from with the technology and the communication. Well, it's not a. It's not an either or situation, though, is it? I mean, Maybe. I, I know that. I mean, a lot of these criticisms that I'm just putting upon millennials. I mean, I'm saying that because they're the generation that's growing up with it. Right. We know how to adopt this technology, use it to our advantage, but it doesn't mean that this is precluding any ability to have a real conversation with somebody. I mean, it, 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 the, I got, 
get off my lawn, I know, before I even say it, but <laughs> I just I get that out of the way. The art of conversation, man, it's so lost on so many people these days. And Rich when you actually... Because well, they all think that they're doing it, and they're not, right? This is what we were talking about, the waiting to speak instead of listening. Right. The, the same thing is going on in the text messages and the forums and the Twitter wars and all this stuff. Well, it's just like, you know... They might as well be cutting and pasting these conversations. When, when I'm at work and we have a certain, you know, crew makeup, certain people are working at the same time, I know that when it gets slow... We're going to have good conversations. And then there's other people that I don't think if I stuck a gun to their head, they could have a conversation because they, the minute they get any downtime, they pull their phone out and their head's buried in it. And it, I'm, it's like, that doesn't bother me, but be able to do both. Can you chew gum and walk at the same time? Like, I get that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to call someone you want to text, you know, okay, great, wonderful. But you can't have a conversation face to face with someone, you know, and then, you know, I, I made that comment to in front of somebody who I didn't realize was they I must they must have had some serious rabbit ears for that issue because they jumped down my throat about, well, you don't understand. Some people aren't comfortable talking in groups and and they have anxiety and this is how we deal with it. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm just like, whoa, whoa. OK, you have anxiety because you're not doing it. I'm like, I, you just took it, yeah, you took it well over the rainbow there, Dorothy. Come on back to Kansas. I, I, it was just an observation. You know what it reminds me of a little bit? I'm sorry, did I cut you? Thought you were, did I cut you off? No, no, you're good. Oh, okay. No, what it reminds me of is, uh, I, I mentioned the uh, Chicago comedy, the stand-up scene that I was uh, on the fringe of there for a little while. I remember having these conversations with these uh, comics, and I'd try to talk about like some philosophical or political ideas with them. And they would, get, they would sit there, a lot of them. I'm not going to say every single one of them, but a lot of them would just sit there and they'd, they'd put this like really overblown, exaggerated look of concentration on their face while I was talking. You know, and nod along and nod along. And then, and then they would, what, what I quickly realized, these were comedians, they were trying to think of something witty to say. That had absolutely nothing to do with what the hell I was talking about. They were just trying to be fucking funny. You know what I mean? And I, I, I sense a lot of that. I don't see, I don't see this uh, conversational breakdown and, and incapacity as much as you guys do. It's probably because we, I, I don't. We, we, I just, uh, I'm not plugged into the same uh, work crowd like you guys are, so I'm probably missing that. But I, I get the sense that that's what a lot of people try to do, and they can't do that. They can't have sort of the improvised conversation because they can't sit there and type text into a into a comment box and go back and edit it and move it around and everything that everything they say is out there it's unedited it's unsanitized you know and they they realize how really actually off the cuff unarticulate they are because they have to sit there they I think a lot of people actually have gotten to the point where they have to sit there and they have to construct like literally construct deconstruct and edit their conversational reply to people, and they can't do that uh, while you're having a one-on-one, real-time conversation with people. Right. It's it's this tip-over point when a technology becomes uh, less of an assistant and just a crutch. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't sound as smart, right? If you can't sit there and spend five minutes <laughs> typing text into a into a thread and rearranging it, you sa- you don't sound nearly as witty and profound. 
when you have to just say what's on your mind because then you discover what's on your mind may be a little convoluted and confused yeah and then there's also this is my favorite thing to sarcasm uh being snarky the context is lost and it yeah. just doesn't come through and then you know they, they, i that's i don't know that's my issue with it and then there's the unwritten rules that you know I, society had a meeting that I wasn't invited to. I think I might have mentioned this before, but it still blows my mind every once in a while when I hear this from people. If you use punctuation in a text, that means you're angry. I'm like, because I put a period at the end of the sentence, I'm angry. Uh, fuck you guys. No, uh, whatever. I'm gonna punk. Yeah, I punctuate. English. Yeah, I punctuate. I don't want to look like a fucking illiterate tool. Sorry, right, no, but that that is accepted. If if you use. Uh, one, if you use an exclamation mark, that means it's basically just normal. Like, you're not mad, you're not happy. In order to express happiness now, you have to use multiple excl- exclamation marks. And if you use a period, you're definitely mad. Yeah, exactly. If you don't, if you, and then there's the people who, you know, are you home? LOL. The fuck's okay. that? I consider I consider myself a fairly amusing person. So do some other people in this world. <laughs> You're occasionally what was, witty. What the what was funny about that? Nothing. I, I'm like, what are you laughing about? Right. Yeah, but people do that it, when they speak. Some people do too, right? Like ner- it's nervous laughter, or, you know, just the kind of thing you need to add to a text. <laughs> nervous laughter. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's, that's what it's a kid. Isn't to, that the point? So you don't have to include the nervous well, laughter. I mean, even even LOL. I mean, think about what that means. It means laughing out loud. We use that in cases where we're probably not laughing out loud. We thought something was amusing. It was worth a chuckle. But we're I would not say, like sitting in the office slapping our knee. If I, if I were to do the research. over hyperventilating. <laughs> if I were to think back and do all of the research, I've been using uh, the internet and chat rooms and LOL probably since 1997. So 21 years, right? I think I have literally been laughing out loud three times. <laughs> Maybe three times. I, usually if I use it, I put, I put for real laughing out loud and it's 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 the truth because it's yeah like so sometimes something just strikes me as so funny when i lived with a a buddy of mine he came to the door one time he knocked on the door and i was and i was like yeah and he opened the door he goes are you okay are you crying i said no i'm not crying i'm laughing he's like why are you in here laughing by yourself i'm like that's i just saw something on the internet struck me as funny and he's an older guy and he's like i don't understand any of that and i'm like okay (laughs) well you don't understand seeing something and laughing at it I'm like, uh, all right, I can't explain it to you, I guess. I don't know. He's just like, why, why are you laughing by yourself? I'm like, what? because it's the internet. So if I was watching Delirious and I'm watching it by myself and I laugh, I'm weird. Okay. It's just weirdo. Yeah. Some people don't. Freak. Some people only really laugh or definitely people will laugh harder when other people are around. Well, it's contagious. Although, yeah. But... I, I mean, that being said, I can laugh pretty damn hard. I also talk to TV shows that I watch, too, and shit. Oh, I do that with the news. You don't want to hear what I say. Yeah. Well, the, the news, bad. but, yeah. Uh, I talk to commercials. Like, every time, <laughs> yeah. every time yeah. Subaru comes on. <laughs> I talk to all them. Don't tell me what I want. Love. You don't know what me. makes a Subaru. Fuck you, hippie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm I've, I've had to make deals with the wife on there's certain shows that I have to shut up on because <laughs> it, will, yeah. it will, will ruin them for yes commercials See, and reality TV with me. Yeah, it it's the, when the housewives are on, I, there's a deal where I, I have to be quiet. Because I'll just sit there, like I will just riff for the whole show on everything I see. <laughs> you should come over and we could watch it. That'd be fun. <laughs> we could take Mystery, it and have our own show. I was gonna say Mystery Science Theater, the fuck out of the Housewives of wherever. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> we're all we're, we all have animals, and I I can't be the only one that talks to my animal. Oh like, god, it's, like, like oh. it's going to answer me. You oh, know. Oh, I t- it, the the reason the cat is so mouthy here that is my fault. I talk to the cat like it's a fucking human yeah. yeah i do too in the room i just hey how's it going but she fucking meows back yeah all, both of ours do we had three we had to put one down in january but he, he was the most talkative one but uh the other two are like yeah walk by Meow. yeah hi there how you doing Meow. <laughs> at least i got somebody to talk to during the day Can you imagine how cranky and ornery i'd be if i didn't you should send my cats food <laughs> yeah don't don't bother clicking through the amazon batter don't don't nah, yeah. fuck all that now nah, just send it to todzilla food. yeah yeah they'll know where to send it make it the good shit though don't send them yeah chips. get That's that insulting. blue buffalo shit yeah yeah hear that alley you're getting food <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go anyway. send cat food or donate yeah. yeah, I would say just, button. to put it put another semi serious spin because this is I think it's a really important conversation that again we always have it when I'm on this show so uh, and again I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate that, that there's really some significant and I think un unseen uh, damage is being done by people learning to socialize themselves on the internet and it's gonna have and it's having and it's going to have more real life consequences socially. And it's gonna put uh, everyone on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just gonna it's gonna have everybody at each other's throat. That's how I. That's kind of how I. Aaron, you, you nailed it. That's exactly how I felt. I'm like, at a certain point, it's going to be rude to hold eye contact with someone during a conversation. Yeah, it's hostility, man. And it's just it's just such it's so strange. And I understand. I mean, this is this is definitely just bitching. Back in the day, you know, bitching about when we were kids and stuff, but. I, I, I'm sure we were all taught. You look a person in the eye when you talk to them. Yeah. You know, and now yeah. it's like. Showed sincerity. The, yeah. All the nonverbal cues that used to be like someone who, if you're talking to them, when they get done talking, you start talking, they start looking at their nails or they look over to the left or right. They were, that was a nonverbal, like almost dismissal of what, like, whatever. You're not worth my time. It's disrespectful. Yeah. Now yeah. it's completely, it's completely acceptable and normal. And. You know, you get someone like me, and I'm sitting there like, I'm an, I'm an asshole. I am an asshole. I call people out that I probably shouldn't. I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, am I boring you? Oh, I do that too. Yeah. You know, my, my favorite at work is, is, is my boss has never heard a sentence he didn't want to jump in the middle of. And I am constantly saying, I'm sorry, did the middle of my sentence interrupt the beginning of yours? Why don't you shut up? And people were like, you talk to the boss that way. I'm like, because he's a fucking asshole and interrupted me. I don't give a shit that he's my boss. What he just did has nothing to do with my job. It has to do with him being a rude cocksucker. Sorry. I, if he wants to fire me, oh, I'll take the hit. But yeah, come on, man. And it's just common decency. Yeah. And, I mean, I actually have customers come in. One just a couple weeks ago. 
lady probably in her 50s, and she goes, I just wanted to say thank you. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, you're welcome. What, what are you thanking me for? She goes, you answered the phone. You're rich, right? I said, yeah. She goes, you know, when I was getting off the phone, you're, hi, how are you? How you, you know, how you doing today? Took my order. Okay, well, you know, you, the cost is this. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You actually, you know, when I said, you know, thank you, you said you're welcome. And I'm like, so I'm being thanked for having basic manners now? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I was out uh, doing my hitchhiking, one of the uh, tactics that I use a lot of times when I'm sitting by the side of the road, because uh, you're, you're kind of, you feel vulnerable sometimes, you know, when you're out there. And um, or at least subconsciously to a degree. And one of the biggest weapons that I've had, if I can call it that, is looking people in the face. Like when people drive by and they've got this amused look on their face or they've got their head up, I look them straight in the eye. And nobody fucks with me as a result. I'm absolutely certain that I don't get messed with nearly as much as I would if I were to like just be all like unsure of myself and look it off and not being willing to look people in the face. There's something about it. It's I, I don't I, I don't know that I can articulate it, but maybe maybe you've hit on why. Maybe it's because that's not that doesn't happen anymore. Maybe I'm being perceived as a bit more aggressive or hostile because I do that. And so it kind of puts people off a no. little bit, like like don't mess with this guy. This guy. I mean, but I've noticed that. Hey man, maybe I'm I don't know. Maybe I'm old school. I'm with you because if you won't look me in the eye and you have a shitty handshake. Uh... Yeah, yeah. What are you up to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yep. That's just, a, again, I think that's probably how we were raised, because that, that, was, that was always uh, the, I guess, implied um, reaction you would have to someone, at least when I was being raised, that they wouldn't look you in the face when they were talking or talking to you. They were something yeah. inauthentic about them. You know, they weren't trustworthy. You're up to something. Yeah. Well, look me in the eye. Yeah. Look I don't know. I just, it just made, me eye, think, it made me think about that. I wonder if that's, you know, that effect, if I'm sort of, if I'm using that to my unwitting advantage <laughs> when I'm out, yeah. Well, I have noticed there's a certain uh, like a, a book of unwritten rules. Like uh, one of the exits I get off at, if I take the highway to work, there's always someone standing on the corner, you know, homeless, you know, anything helps, God bless you type sign. Yeah. These type of people t- rarely ever sit there and make eye contact with you. Yeah, and then there's the dudes who hang out outside of a local speedway that I sometimes stop at, and these motherfuckers stare you down like you're a piece of meat and they're starving. Yeah, I mean they they'll look you into your parking spot and then like start walking over as you get out your car, yeah. steady eye contact. Like, yeah, hey man, you got anything for me? Let me hold five, and I'm like f- five. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> Like, oh boy, I ain't the one, first of all. Second of all, I, if I had that much money, you think I'd be coming to Speedway? Come on now. I go where the bums aren't. Come on. <laughs> you know, I always, I've run into those folks a lot when I've been out. And uh, I always, it's funny you mention that because I have always taken the, the tract from the first year on that I treat them. You remember you were talking prison earlier and you don't want to make yourself a target? I always, when I see them eyeballing me, I, I, I gaze them back. Like I will like narrow my eyes a little bit, and I will steal a gaze straight into theirs. Like I see you, motherfucker. <laughs> some primal king of the jungle shit. You're that's, just trying to get a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> that's exa- no, that's exactly what it is. And 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 most of the time, they see that I'm looking at them straight in the face, and they will they they will they, they certainly won't harass me. 
They may say something, and I'll just say, nah, I got nothing for you. And they will leave me the fuck alone. They will not push the issue with me because of that. It's really weird. <coughs> well, I had, a, I, had a, I had a new one. It was, a, it was the first because it, was, it wasn't the first time I've ran into a crying woman outside of some place. And usually that's a bar. And they're like, you know, my friend's left and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah, you're, you're drunk, whatever. But this woman comes to me crying. She's like, I don't have any gas money and my car's parked at the pump and my, they won't accept my card. And, and I was like, oh. I was like, lady, I don't make much more <laughs> than nothing. Seriously. I'm like, here. And I just like, I, you know, had some change in the car. I'm like, that's, that's all I can do. I, I, and I was like, wait a minute. If that had been a guy, I'd have been like, no, nah, man, I'm good. Yeah. But she come yeah. over crying, and I'm like, tears, oh. yeah, yeah, fell for it. She manipulated the fuck out of you. That's a toxic, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a toxic femininity. Yeah. 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 Toxic feminism. <laughs> yeah. Like it worked. Yeah, it's not real hard. I've I've said it before. It's not real hard to cut through the bullshit when you're, you know, you stay away from the God bless anybody flying a God bless sign. You stay the fuck away from them. And the homeless vet thing. No, <laughs> they're they're, I a, they're. I had a guy the other day. Try to hand me a flag pin. It's like, nope. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. yeah my, my, that shit comes with strengths. My favorite is an old comedian. He died, God, like of a heart attack, I think, in like 1991. Uh, and, it, wow, brain fart. His name just, just left. Anyway, Robin Harris. And uh, he was like, you know, can't go anywhere in Chicago. He was doing a show in Chicago. He's like, People coming up, brother man, brother man, you got some spare change? He's like, the fuck spare change? Get your ass a spare job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I've been drunk, like down at like Lafayette after you know a night out, and so they got the got your spare change, and I just hit him with that. And most of the time, it's just deer in headlights, like oh, that's yeah, not right. what I was expecting. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Yeah. I tell you guys a story about uh, when I was out in, uh, I might have told the story on here and interrupt me and stop me if I have, but I was out in uh, Williston, North Dakota here about, uh, I guess it was 2009, it's nine years ago, and I had been in a cafe all night drinking coffee because I couldn't find a place to sleep, and sun came up, Walmart was next door, opened up, and I walked over to a pole. Just sitting there, and you like uh, it was right at the corner of a parking lot and, and, and a road that went out to the main road. And I just sat down, and I basically just sat there and wanted to sleep because I'd been up all night. And so I'm just sitting there, back against the pole, backpack next to me, and people started stopping their cars and giving me money. Ha! <laughs> nice. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. I mean, How much people did you make? Have, I made almost $50 sitting there <laughs> for, like, for like two hours. And I, didn't, I was, like, embarrassed. I'm like, I, I just, I just want to sleep. Man, I, I got money. But there was this thing, and I, 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 again, I want to put a positive spin on this just a little bit, because Chris and I have had a lot of conversations about whether or not to take money when we're out, what people offer it, and it's not such a bad thing to do in a situation like that because of what it does for the person giving the money. You know, even if you don't need it, as long as they're not giving you 50 bucks and you know they, they don't have it, you know, then you, there's a line that you're crossing, but they're giving you five bucks, and they just want to give it to you because they want to feel like they're helping you're kind of taking something away from them if you don't. You know what I mean? It, it, I, I, again, I didn't need money that day at all. <laughs> I was fine. I was on my way out to like Boise and Washington State and all that. But it really it, it struck me as how many people actually wanted 
to help somebody. It was really weird. I mean, you talk about cynicism, you talk about, you know, whether people are, are pieces of shit or not. None of those people were solicited. None of those people had to stop. None of those, those people could, every single one of them, I wasn't looking at them. I wasn't trying to guilt trip anybody. I was just sitting there trying to get, get a couple of winks of sleep. And these people went out of their way to stop the car and hand me money. Yeah. And, you know, it's little things like that. People aren't, they're not all fucked up. We do fucked up things. And we have a, 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 a part of us that is really capable of some really horrific things. But there's also a part of us that's really capable of some real humanity. And, uh, you know, these folks that you see sitting on the side of the road, or maybe they're exploiting that, maybe they're not, whatever. But the fact that they're making money really says something about the fact that people have a collective human concern for each other on some level. And yeah, yeah, well, no, because I, one of the things that... You know, every once in a while, I'll get, you know, I'll, okay, I'm going to get motivated. I'm going to take these bottles back today. So I throw a couple bags of bottles in my trunk or whatever. And then I just forget about it. And if I see someone going through, like, at a gas station, going through the trash looking for bottles, I'll, I'll just, you know what? Fuck it. They probably use the five bucks more than me. Here. Here yeah. you go, bud. I see you. I see you looking for bottles. And there you go. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm like, eh, yeah. To me, that's just, that's just being a decent human being. How did you like, feel about it, though? How did you feel about yourself when you did it? I, I'm, not a good barometer to, I'm not a good barometer to judge this by, because I almost feel like an asshole. Like, I'm insulting them sometimes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know, but at the same time, it's like, it's, how do I explain this? It's like if you go, when you go into the store these days, and you're like, would you like to donate $1 to, well, first of all, if you're soliciting it, it's yeah, not a fuck donation. You get away from me. Get away from yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. But if I just give them to someone, it's like I feel better about that because I'm, I don't feel like I'm being crooked. But at the same time, I would almost worry that this person would be like, wait, you think I, I'm going to dig through trash for bottles? I don't, I don't need your charity. But I've yet to have anyone turn it down. So I don't yeah. know why I feel that way. Yeah. Because you would. Pride. I, depending on how hungry I was, I'd probably give the obligatory, no, nah, no, nah, I'm okay. And if they were like, no, seriously, here, I'd go, okay. Yeah. You know, I, but it. I mean, I, I, I'm really curious, though, when, when they finally took it, okay, they've taken the bottles and you, you're through that entire thing and you've gone about your business, you're moving on with your day. How did you feel? For the most part, I mean, once it was done and over with the awkwardness, for the most part, it just felt better. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I was saying, but you're taking something away from people who are trying to do the, maybe not the right thing, but trying to do something to benefit someone else, something altruistic. And that's a good feeling, you know, and that's, that's the thing that, 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 you know, a lot of the, the Eastern religion and Eastern philosophy stuff say that the greatest happiness is in service of others. And that's the crux of that. That's, that's the path you're walking when you do something like that. And that's the conversation that Chris and I had about, you know, taking money from, why do you want to take people away, that away from people? If, if people understand that you, if you do something positive for someone else that's unsolicited out of the, just on your own initiative, and you feel good about that, you'll do it again. But why do you want to rob people of that? You know, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, there, it's, there's this, 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 this fork in the road that you come to, I think, or at least I have. I'm not going to speak for you guys or anybody else, but there's a fork in the road where you choose cynicism or you choose hope. And that's the thing that I, I think is the foundation of what I'm trying to get at here, you know, that you can, you can see people through whichever lens you want to look through. And I've found that in my traveling not only in the States, but Latin America, South America, all that, is that if you are looking for it and your eyes 
are primed and focused to see it. You're going to see a hell of a lot more good in people, actual organic human beings, not on the Internet. <laughs> you're going to see that a lot more than you'll see bad. And I think if you're looking for any sort of uh, ray of sausage party hope here, that's, I think, where it lies, is seeking that out and encouraging people to embrace it, rewarding it, and being an example of that, too, which I am piss poor at, but trying. And I think that's the, you know, if we're looking for solutions, that's kind of, I think, the beginning of it. Trying better than doing nothing. Yeah, man, what's the alternative, right? Be a theme. Starting a podcast and bitching about everything. That's the alternative. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so on that note, donate so we can keep doing this. Yeah. Th- thanks for listening. You'll feel good about yourself. Yeah. And send it with the cat food. Don't send it to these guys. I'll make sure they get it. <laughs> yeah. Follow us on Twitter at UnRecommendedPod. You can email us at UnRecommendedActorCommunity.net. And check out all the other podcasts. And, yeah, why not? The spirit of commerce. There's a donate button and an Amazon link and all that fun shit. And thanks for listening. And it, uh, thanks to those of you who missed us. Thanks to be missed. And we'll catch you next week. All right. Later, guys. See ya. Bye. If you like this show, please tell a friend. Please follow us on Twitter and like and share us on Facebook by searching for Christopher Media. You can subscribe to all ChristopherMedia.net shows for free on ChristopherMedia.net. Please make sure to rate and comment on all your favorite Christopher Media shows. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net. And thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net.